0: dogs look at us now tip to tip
2: this is our life this is our passion that's the spirit we bring to this show i'm
0: luke thomas i'm brian campbell this is morning combat
2: oh yeah you hear that sound and you know that fridays are for the arts this year is morning combat hold on one second Oh, that shit's good. Uh, Friday, June 10th, 2022. The best damn combat sports show. Period. My name is your co-host, Brian Campbell, that BBC with that B-D-E. You know the man next to me. He's the finest fight analyst in the game who never had the balls to take on one professional or amateur fight. His name
0: is Luke Thomas. I wouldn't know if I classify it quite that way, but thank you. Just the same, BC. Glad we're starting out our introductions in an insulting and... Well, no, no, I I actually commended you as the best analyst in the game today. Yeah, for being, yes, among cowards, you're the best. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, BC. Uh,
2: This here is the award-winning Morning Combat. You may be wondering where I am right now, but I am in a fine uh, establishment called the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York, because tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, only on Showtime Showbox. The new generation of which, BC, one of your analysts will be providing a triple header. And also, how about some luminaries in attendance? It's not just International Boxing Hall of Fame weekend. Check the merch right here in the next town over of Canastota. But, Luke, they're going with three classes at once this year, the trilogy, because of COVID. So we'll get into it a bit later, but you want to talk about uh, boxing royalty walking around the grounds of this casino. What a, what a time to be alive, Luke, so I'm happy to be here. You know
0: what I'm saying? Yes, and uh, the shirt, I got to say, I told him before the show, I think the shirt is cool, super cool. And uh, that chair looks like like you look like you're in a Howard Johnson where people are illegally doing dentistry. <laughs>
2: It kind of looks like a chair like the bad guy and Inspector Gadget would sit in, you know what I mean, with the cat. Oh, you know, a little kinda,
0: bit. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like, that's right. I kind of like that.
2: Um, if you're wondering if y'all got that McDonald's Wi-Fi, we do, so hopefully we'll make it through this show, but uh, shout-out to uh, Corey Manich and Long Island Luke on the ones and twos. How wild is it, Luke Thomas, that we have a producer named Long Island Luke whose dad is from Australia, but Moka also has a pr- producer named luke who is from australia who works on morning combat
0: is his dad from long island
2: i hope uh, you know i think i think his secretary's name was lincoln luke and uh, <laughs> and the other ones was kennedy i think that's the deal okay all right. all right uh luke can you take the screen they've got to adjust some technical things with me can you yes just take yes, over yes. For i will t- I'll,
0: I'll do the uh, the standard intro so as you as bc mentioned he is going to be on national television tonight 9 p.m in the east for Showtime. If you don't have Showtime, I've got great news for you. You can get it for free right now. Go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial if you like it. If you like BC's commentary, and as much as a loathsome piece of shit as he is, he's actually quite good at being a commentator, so I highly recommend watching him. Uh, you can get it. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, you can bounce. And As you can see, I've got my special BC Factory Town MMA shirt. You want one just like this, you can get it. Morning Combat. Dot store MorningCombat.store. And I know some folks, we saw they had a there was a leaked photograph, uh, not quite leaked, it was more just published, but uh, it was for the bomber jackets that we had on. We did do a little bit of a video shoot with Chuck Mendenhall, and you saw that BC and I had bomber jackets. They're not in the store yet. I can hear BC there. They're not in the store yet, but they're going to be there pretty soon. So MorningCombat.store is going to be the place to be. Of course, we're going to do Dead Wrong today. If you want to reach the show for any reason, but for Wednesday's fan subs friday's dead wrong morning combat at gmail.com is going to be the place to be for that so shoot us some stuff over there all right is bc ready to go yes no
2: yeah i'm back i'm back on it luke thank all you right. to to Manich for adjusting my my levels here luke okay there's levels to this game thank you very much luke you sold all of our shit right we're ready to go
0: is yeah i think on? we're good to go mm-hmm.
2: all right uh let's do it Bef- but before we get to the five topics luke we have this rundown set in stone But talk about a curveball in the sport of combat sports. So here's a little bonus lead headline. The news came across yesterday afternoon. BKFC, your bare knuckle home, August 20th in the UK. How about this for a pay-per-view main event? Mike Perry versus MVP Michael Venom Page of Bellator fame? Luke Thomas, it turns out. That, pair, that MVP, like in the past when he took a pro boxing fight, was allowed by Scott Coker and company sort of this one-off. This one-off will be a bare-knuckle matchup between two welterweight MMA stars of, of some lore for sure. Uh, I got to say, I'm pretty fired up. I mean, it's, it's, it's a classy hot dog at the gas station for sure. But... This is pretty damn interesting, and I think it's going to air on, on fight. So if you pay that four ninety nine monthly subscription, you're going to get this card. This may be uh, appointment viewing in the world of combat sports, August 20th.
0: I got to tell you, I like this curveball. Like, someone asked me about this on my live chat yesterday, and I thought it was just like a random suggestion. Like, what about MVP versus Mike Perry and BKFC? I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't know how that would go. That's exactly right. I don't know how that would go. Obviously, MVP is probably a much, well, he definitely is a much better striker than Mike Perry. But dude... Bare knuckle, that little ring, the rounds are two minutes long. They start in the center. Like, who the hell who the hell knows what's going to happen? Yeah. i got to say, I'll commend Scott Coker, I, w- I really will, for reaching across the aisle and trying to co-promote. We know he did it back in the day with Strikeforce. We know he's been doing it with Bellator. He's obviously had a long relationship with a lot of the Japanese promoters. Here he is. But he tried to make a deal with Eagle FC for the JDS thing, which we went into. But here is a great one where you've got Platinum, who I don't think is washed. My uh, MVP, definitely not washed. It's a crazy kind of fight, but I love talent sharing. I love curveballs. I love something different. It's a little unusual, but unusual BC like you in a good way. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. Not bad
2: for, for brain damage. Uh, I will
0: say this, Luke. It's like when you see like some
2: of the knee jerk reactions to this fight, it's been cur- you know a, a, positive in sort of a curiosity way. But a lot of people going, oh, man, dude, MVP is going to piece this guy up. What a lopsided matchup. There's nothing lopsided about matchups in BKFC because it's just a different striking game. Yes, some people make the transition fairly easily, but there's a major adjustment in terms of not being able to load up on most of your shots. You have to be strategic. You have to protect your knuckles. There's certainly some uh, clinch fighting allowed that's similar to MMA. So this is going to be pretty interesting. But I did want to ask you deeper about sort of the one-off part of it. If you're Scott Coker and company, is this more of let's just keep a star happy and MVP Or do you think there's anything deeper there in terms of strategic leveraging or even the idea of just good PR that we're open to, you know, that you come our way and we'll let you do some of this side stuff?
0: I think it's, I think it's a little bit of all of the above. You know, there's been, people may not remember this, but there have been times where Bellator fighters were waiting around looking for fights and they couldn't get them, which is common across a lot of, you know, major promotions for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, Koreshkov had complained at times, Shlomenko had complained at times, um you know here's a chance for if a guy wants to stay busy he can it's going to be in the uk and we don't uh, to my knowledge bc perhaps i missed this part of the story but to my knowledge we don't really know which way bkfc is going to send someone over to bellator how this talent sharing thing might work obviously i don't think bellator is just giving mvp this fight to bkfc without asking for something in return so i'll be curious to see something in return there but yeah i think it's a lot about if if, you know coker being serious about talent sharing that's great it is about keeping mvp happy that's great I, you know, by the way, if you're a Scott Coker, this is a pretty smart bet. I mean, yes, MVP is going to be locked in a very, very small circular ring and can't use his knees, can't use any of his kicks. Punches are going to be, you know, in, in short range at all times. So it, it's a little bit different than what you might imagine. But still, you'd probably favor MVP to win. I, I certainly would. So it's smart in that sense. There's just a lot of ways where, again, like for some of these sub UFC promotions, they have some real talent. But it's kind of just splintered across one FC or one championship across Tour. BKFC has taken some interesting names with them, not a whole bunch, but some that matter. Mike Perry, Chad Mendes being a couple of them, you can name some more. I like this. I like the sharing. I like what it represents. I like what it offers the athletes. I like what it offers the fans. I, I, I don't really see the downside, especially MVP just lost that fight. They're not going to do a rematch with Logan Storley. That's not really on the table. So why not give the fans something kind of exciting in this way? Yeah. It works for me. Yeah, it kind of took that 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 contentious decision
2: uh, for MVP, because if he's if he's the interim champion, you probably don't think this is going to happen. It wouldn't seem worth it. But if it if there's a long term trade or talent swap involved, it's interesting. I mean, could that mean PVZ? I mean, I know Paige Van Zand is now doing AEW wrestling and says she was born for that. Could she take an MMA fight with Beltran? I don't know. Maybe they want, you know, maybe they want Britain Beltran, Luke. OK, why wouldn't they?
0: uh does she do mma
2: no she did pro boxing and and i'm okay. just you know just kind of cracking cracking jokes with you but maybe rachel ostovich comes over to bellator who knows luke we'll see yeah, what yeah, happens like
0: but- I, I said there's a lot of different ways this could go and it's not just what what can bellator and bkfc do it's like dude if all the promotions start doing a little bit more to talent share there's all kinds of doors that they can open together that i really think would be rather big so yes. i'm all in favor of it two thumbs up from this guy
2: all right. All right. There you go. Uh, you're not here, though, to hear us, uh, you know, try to debate the future of Bellator matchmaking. You could probably go to Big John hold and uh, the other hold guy on. for that one. But
0: before you change, <laughs> I see what you're doing there before you change prediction for that fight. And you can change it when we get closer. But okay. gut, what does your gut tell you right now?
2: I think this is a sport that produces upsets because it's it's something that MMA or boxers that make that transition think they know what it's going to be like. And then it's just different. It's kind of like, you know, let's play basketball, but let's play it on a 15 foot rim. Uh, That's a little bit different. Um, I think Mike Perry can win this. Call me crazy, Luke. I think he can get inside and get gnarly and use his forearms and shoulders and head and cut you know, you get a lot of cuts with, with, with clean punches in this game. So, obviously, MVP's this master at controlling distance and leaping in and landing these shots. Will that one-punch landing have the same impact in a bare-knuckle situation? We'll have, to, we'll have to find out, Luke.
0: BC, speaking of 15-foot rims, did you see in Game 2, Game 3, I think it was Game, what was it, Game 3, maybe. Right yes. before the start, the Warriors were complaining uh, at uh, in, the, in the, was it the, uh, the TD Garden. They yes. were complain they were complaining that the rim looked a little high. And so sure enough they measured it. Whoever was setting the rims for the Celtics set the Warriors rim two inches higher. So they
2: actually had to be, lower the rim. That's gotta be the ghost of Red Auerbach or, or 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 you know the
3: Leprechaun, right?
2: You know, you know what I mean? Just just uh yeah, there you go. Okay, thank you. Luke, people are here not for any of this absolute bullshit, they're here to find out who they should bet on and pick and look out for for Saturday's UFC 275 pay-per-view card. The promotions, first visit to Singapore in a pay-per-view fashion, fifth overall. And Luke Thomas, we have three must-see fights atop this card. Uh, It gets a little barren from there, and we've unfortunately just lost another fight off this card we'll get to in a minute. But in terms of getting fired up for these three fights, I kind of liked when watching the UFC uh, Countdown Series... Uh, something I hadn't thought about. I wanted to pitch it to you first, Luke. The six big names that are high- headlining this card—none of them born in the U.S. All of them from various nations. That does sort of show the uh, evolution and outreach of this sport. Or maybe I sound like a UFC uh, PR slip right now. No, but. no.
0: I remember. I remember quite well. In the late 2000s, early 2010s, there was still—and then this has been true for some time, and it will tr- still be true for some time. But there was just a lot of heavy American and particularly heavy American wrestling influence in the sport, which has been a good thing. But it was a little bit uh, uh, one note. It was just so much of it. And now you're seeing not just different styles, but different countries with well-rounded skill sets. To the point now where they can be championship level fighters in a very global sense. It's only good for MMA that it expands. Like when, when Brandon Moreno won in Mexico, like we're richer for having a country to the south of us here that can produce elite level talent in the way that they have. And you can go on to Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and Brazil and wherever else, the more that these countries can produce world-class talent, the more we all benefit as fans. And this card is, I think, a testament to some of that development.
2: All right, let's stop. Let's start with the top of the marquee, and that, of course, is Glover Teixeira, the 42-year-old wonder, closing in, by the way, on age 43. First title defense of the 205 crown that he seized by submission against Jan Blahovich, and he welcomes in 2-0 in the UFC, riding a 10-fight knockout streak, riding a win streak that I think is upwards of 16. It is Yuri Prohatska, Luke. Uh, we set the stage nicely, if you ask me, two days ago on the storylines leading into this. But in terms of this actual fight, minus 200, Prohaska, according to Caesars, is your current betting favorite. Plus mm. 160, the champion, Teixeira. We bo- we we know coming into here that if, if things go the way they intend for either fighter, I mean that this is a this is a little bit of a toss up fight at this point. I mean you, you certainly favor Prohaska for obvious reasons, youth, danger, all of that. But I'm looking forward for a very interesting fight come Saturday night. What are you looking for in round one? I like to get ahead of it and see what your eyes are seeing or or thinking or looking for that, that may help you figure out which direction this fight is going.
0: So I think this really all just comes down to Glover Teixeira getting takedowns and making use of them. Either he will do that or he won, which is not to say that he could not win on the feet. For example, I do think that Glover has a good jab. You go back to I believe it was round one, maybe it was round two. I have to go back and look, but there was a left hook that he landed in the Blahovich fight that rocked him or wobbled him a little bit. And he had to kind of catch himself as a consequence. It's not like he can't strike; he can, but it's hard to see how, even though and the stats speak to this. Richard Mann over at Metric, I tweeted his article yesterday about this. Even though Dick you look man. at the number, yeah, yeah. Well, Dick I mean, he man. just does, huh? If
2: if he, just- he goes by that nickname, his his name would be Dick Man. I love this guy, Luke.
0: Okay. All right. You're five years old, but the point I'm trying to make is if you look at the strikes absorbed per minute by Prochka, it's 6.8. I mean, folks, I can't tell you that is, that's like double the rate of a ranked fighter. That is extremely, extremely high. He gets hit a lot, but, but the fact that he gets hit a lot and there's like a lot of open exchanges in the end, we both kind of know that actually tends to favor him at least right now because he's still durable He's still young. He's extremely athletic. He just kind of can withstand it now. He can make that style work for him. I think over time that will cost him. But for right now, it hurts him somewhat, makes him a little bit vulnerable. But I think on, on it's a net win for him to have a more open style. You go back to the Blahovich fight. Dude, uh, Glover was looking for a takedown inside the first minute. Inside the first minute. I think he knows he has got to get the takedown. Now, we've only seen a couple of attempts on takedowns four, uh, excuse me, four Prohachka in his two UFC fights and he stuffed one of them and he didn't stuff the other one. There was a fight in, uh, excuse me, in um, in uh, Japan where he was taken down for a long period of time. He still won that contest. So to me, this really comes down to Glover Teixeira realizing he's got to you know, punch his way inside, but he's got to get a takedown and he's got to make full use of it he's got to get real ground and pound he's got to hurt that guy there he's got to drain that guy there so if he gets takedowns and the guy gets back up or he gets takedowns and it's a full guard situation and maybe he kind of really controls Glover that's not enough this fight hinges on the takedown and what he can meaningfully make of it in the end and the question mark of course is to what extent can Prochka defend or nullify that
2: Absolutely. And it's rare when you're like, OK, it's up to the 42 year old guy to try to gas out, you know, and, and wear down and weaken uh, the younger guy. But that's really what this is, you know, in and, and a street fight between an old guy and a young guy. Normally, it's the old guy trying to sit on top of him and just hold him down and use his weight. Uh, there's going to be uh, a want and a need for Glover to do that, to try to lessen the danger when they are stood back up. And obviously, Glover's submission threat is strong. And Luke, I want to ask you sort of about how you've read Glover's emotions throughout the build to this. We had him on Room Service Diaries, a fantastic chat. I'm going to throw that in a second. But you heard him talk about Prochatska on our couch. You've seen him on you know, UFC Countdown, UFC Embedded, all of the, the media stops this week. I look at it as absolutely he understands and respects the threat of Yari uh striking. And of course he should, or he wouldn't be here if he didn't. Uh, But, Luke, I also see supreme confidence that when he looks at the pluses and minuses of his opponent, he truly believes he's going to be able to exploit the latter and, you know, like we talked about on Wednesday, maybe kind of do a repeat of what he did to Jan Blachowicz. Obviously, different fighter, different levels of danger, different a lot. But do you see that same level of supreme confidence that I don't think he's overlooking, Yuri, but I really believe Glover thinks he's going to come in there and kind of make short work of him?
0: He, well, it's not impossible, right? I mean, this fight is kind of weird because you've got an old guy who's, I think, defensively somewhat vulnerable. I don't think Glover has a bad chin, but it's just how many big strikes can he take from P- Prohotchka? Pro- Probably not many. I don't know many guys that could have been. I mean, that remember that elbow he finished Reyes off with? I mean, he absolutely <laughs> destroyed him with that. So Glover takes one of those. It's a wrap. Um, on the other hand, Glover does have the capacity to slow the fight down, to find measures of control. We've seen it time and time again. Anthony Smith, the last one. He does it over and over again. This fight could go a lot of different ways and not every fight will tell you a lot about someone's upside or in this case in the, in the case of Glover Teixeira what they have left. We kind of know what Glover's upside is. We have a pretty pretty clear sense of it. But Prochaska, there's just this unknownness. So the, dude, to me it could go the full 5 rounds. I think that's unlikely, but it probably could. But this one could end in short order either way, pretty quickly. Yeah. Like there's a I mean when he when Blahovich rolled over, dude, that choke was sunk instantaneously. It was it was over as soon as it started on the ground. So, it's just a question of what does Glover really have left? Can he execute a game plan that he speaks to his strengths? And again, I'm going to point this out: the fact that he went for a takedown in the first minute, he wasn't he he wasn't getting lit up against Blahovich in that first minute. There was a couple other times later in the fight where he got touched up, but not in that first minute tells you he knows that this is his best method to victory he knows you know for example in the Tiago Santos fight dude Tiago Santos was laying some hands on him until he went for the takedown or you know control the fight in that kind of a way I I think he just knows that's the order of 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 business here he has to find a way to jab inside and get the guy to react but dude Prohachka is a wild card man I could totally see a scenario where he backs him up against the fence level changes to get the takedown and then just eats a giant fucking knee on the way in and that that just closes the show it's this it's this is possible. a weird one, but a great one. I know.
2: Instead of trying to say, you know, could we see Glover versus Blahovitch uh, all over again in terms of how it plays out, it, you know, It could go on the way of Glover versus Tiago Santos as well, which is, you know, Yeri landing something monster early where you think Glover's going to get stopped and and he stays the course, he bites down and eventually gets the fight to the ground and does his thing. I mean, that that, that could be something he's got to realize is possible given the danger. So let's go to Glover right now. We had him on the couch, episode one of our revamped Room Service Diaries 2.0, and of course we said, you know, what do you expect from from, from How how are you mentally preparing to face somebody this
0: dangerous? Let's go to the videotape. Assess him from your standpoint. What do you what do you believe is the major challenge for you?
4: Is there, you know, is there is there his style to see the movement? Can we work a lot in my eyes? I have a good people. Work with that. Uh, you can see in my last few fights, uh, the way uh, I'm rolling with the punches better, you know, and not getting hit clear like uh, like before. Before just walk straight and keep going. But now moving and moving a little more, working my eyes and working the timing for him. This is uh, the, the main thing. But uh, I look at the fight a little bit. I look his fight and I see, like I say, I see the openings that he, he does. When he strike, he leaves the opening for some positions. And, um, you know, that's the main thing that I think uh, the most difficult thing to deal with is probably like the style. But uh, when you come, when you're and you see everything. <laughs> that's, the, that's the cool about uh, martial arts is how to adapt it to the style, you know.
2: Oh, I know what he's thinking, Luke. Nothing a double leg couldn't figure out in terms of, uh, you know, dealing with the danger of what Prochaska's striking brings to the table. Um, but you you get what I'm, my earlier point, man. He is so damn, you know, tough guy next door confident. And, it, and, and, you know, when you really do the math and look at this fight, I think he potentially has reasons to be. And, you know, one thing he did say there, Luke, I wanted to get your take is, you know, he was coming in in a straight line. I mean, that, that was going to be a problem when you're facing a guy like Rumble Johnson and he got sent... Deep down in the first round, but part of that educated evolution in his senior years for for uh, Teixeira has not just been the focus on the on the fundamental basics on the ground and, and hammering that home, but it is little nuances to his boxing game. I mean, look, he's long trained with you know Fernelli Feliz uh, Senior, there, the the ex pro boxer who fought you know heavyweight champions, and and his boxing is you know we talk about the power. But his boxing is also very just technically on point. So there's a lot of reasons coming into like Glover beyond just the romanticized old guy getting it done again. I'm excited. i really that excited.
0: Convention, that conventional game only works if you're being a uh, against Prochaska if you're being a bully with it, right? Like if you're really there. catching him between strikes, you're getting out of the way and then you're just popping him with it. If you're just trying to go, you know, uh, like I'm going to just punch my way inside in a very conventional kind of way, dude. Prochaska will eat you alive. I mean, you would agree. He's a better athlete, far better athlete, at least at this stage of his career. He's certainly a better athlete. He's in sick shape. Sick shape. Super explosive. He's very explosive. And dude, he will take a risk. And that risk might cost him at certain times, but the rewards for it are extraordinary as well. So what I would say is, to me, the modus operandi is not to strike with this guy. It's to really lock up with him, make him wrestle, make him fight on the ground, do that kind of stuff. Because I honestly feel like, yes, it's not that Glover can't handle himself. And I take those points seriously. But I think that, that there, there, there would need to be a real clear sense that we have to limit the amount of exposure we have to this maniac who's out there spinning and jumping and all kinds of stuff. we got to make this a controlled contest, reduce all these other variables. That's what GSP did in his late career. Everyone was like, oh, GSP got boring. That's not quite right. Sometimes the fights were less exciting. But with the, in, the major insight to the sort of the second chapter of GSP's career was that when you wrestle a guy, if you're really good enough at it, you take out so many of these other variables because most guys don't have a guard game at this point where they can really be a true submission threat. Charles Oliveira and some other ones notwithstanding, but like the kinds of guys that St. Pierre was fighting. If you can make it that kind of a fight, it's a much more manageable affair. There's less chaos that you have to control for. Same with Habib as well. I really think at this stage of his game, that has to be the key consideration. If that is slipping, Prochazka is going to light him on fire. Right. Uh, So,
2: look, Prochaska can end it, you know, really at any time with one shot or one shot that sets up a finish. He's a physical presence. He's hungry. He seems to have have some of those intangibles in lockstep. So I want to ask you about those intangibles because part of me wants to go, Okay, what do I think this fight's going to look like? Is it comparable to, like, young Francis Ngannou against, you know, Stipe the first time? Not really, though, because Prochatska seems to be more advanced in certain areas where that version of Ngannou was very much a, a one-trick pony. So if that's true, what areas of Prochatska's game do you feel like you know about in terms of the intangible sense? Uh, his backbone, his chin, his gas tank, his adaptability, uh, his, you know, takedown defense. How strong do you believe some of those fundamental aspects are where, you know, if things might not be going his way, he may be able to make some adjustments?
0: I tend to think that the biggest thing that makes his game work is two things. One, it's just, you know, it's a little bit risk-reward, as we mentioned before, right? But the one thing that really stands out about his game, especially in these last two UFC fights, the ones in uh, in Japan, some of them were like this, some of them weren't. But certainly his last two against Uzdemir and Reyes, dude, he puts pressure on these guys. I mean, he marches them down. And again, he'll eat punches or strikes on the way all the time to deliver hellacious blows, again, big, big strikes along the way. But he is constantly not allowing these guys to reset. I think that's a big deal, right? Making these guys back up, making them fight off the back foot, making them have to choose a strike to throw that maybe if they had a little bit more... I mean, think about this. You know this true from boxing, BC. Dude, one second in boxing is an eternity. Against somebody yeah. who's very good, it's an eternity. So if you can constantly make a guy have less time to pick whatever strike or offensive maneuver he would like to use, you're going to make them pick suboptimal things over time, and that is all he really needs. I mean, I take that threat quite seriously. That, to me, is the big thing, dude. If Glover really wants to win, yes, we talked about the takedowns, but resisting con- uh, um, consistent pressure from Prohaska is going to be absolutely critical. If he can't do that and he's just kind of like, you know, trying to keep his head above water to to keep up with it, He's going to lose that bout 10 times out of 10. Right now, no one can play speed chess with Prochka, right. even though he gets hit. You see the numbers. Almost seven strikes a goddamn minute. But it doesn't no, matter because of all the other things.
2: Yeah, that's a great point about the idea of, of someone always being in a suboptimal position because... You're going to be caught off guard in any situation against Prochaska because as soon as he lands something, you'll get a feel of that power and the speed behind it, and You're like, oh, hold on. But then he's putting on that mental pressure from constantly walking you down and the threat of the explosion. And Luke, I think we would be fair to say here from a quick twitch fiber standpoint, from an NFL linebacker crushing the quarterback sort of explosiveness, He seems to very much be a plus athlete. I mean, there is, you know, there's something there that makes him very dangerous on top of the fact that he's doing unorthodox things at times. That has to come from somewhere. So why don't we bring in our colleague once in a while here on CBS Sports and Morning Combat, uh, Shaquille Majori, Luke. He caught up with Yuri Prohatska ahead of this. Uh, I believe you can watch the full interview on his Shaq MMA uh, channel on YouTube. But you know this this Persian prince, this... um, This French-Canadian by birth, Uh, he said, Yuri, you know, what did you do early on to sort of develop this type of uh, explosiveness? Let's go to the videotape here.
3: When I was a child, I catch these lizards every every summer because every summer I had a a, a big, uh, how to say, big park. Uh, big park uh, next to my house and there was a big grass and a lot of but fucking speed lizards <laughs> yeah and and uh, and and my 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 mission was to catch every lizard on on, on these in the, in this grass and and uh, that was my training that was my training for the reflection and for for everything yeah right. <laughs> a good hand I, speed I did that day by day, every day. I, I catched a full, full box of, of, of lizards. Then I, I released them.
2: Look, <laughs> he's, he's delightfully amazing. weird. First of all, he's awesome. But would you say, given that Roy Jones Jr., like the Rocky movies, grew up, you know, on a farm in Florida where there's chickens and cocks, and he's sort of just, you know, s- squatting down and chasing after them, and you know the sort of freak athleticism of Roy Jones, there seems
0: to be something there, Luke. Dude, he's, is this what, uh, like, remember, was it Rocky who was chasing the chickens? Right? It's been so long since I've seen, but um, that's what's he's, he is so out there. He's so different. But I tell you what, man, he's so full of confidence, you know, like he's so sure of the path. He's so, he's so sure of his methods and, and the, the way in which um his life has been guided by whatever force it's been guided by his own work however things go he just seemed he's he he dude he very this is one of the better parts of mma like mma has a lot of weirdos who are bad people but it also has weirdos who are like delightfully weird in the way that you've described (laughs) dude he marches to the beat of his own drum in all the best ways possible and then you add in the fact that he like forget all the lizard chasing stuff He's a sick athlete. And I want to point out one other thing, too. Like, he's got this weird way of looking at the world. Do you remember when he fought? I think it was Reyes. Maybe it was Uzdemir, too. I can't remember now at this point. But remember he kept holding his hand like this, like he was, like, concealing it. And then he would throw it on these, like, offbeat rhythms in the in the, the wildest way possible. He's unpredictable, too. We talk about his pressure. We talk about his, dur- and, uh, his durability and his explosivity. The other part is he's just a little hard to get a beat on because he does yeah. stuff. That other people don't do. This is, again, I'm going to say it, The more you you should get a stopwatch. The more time that this fight stays on the feet, there's going to be diminishing returns for Glover. Glover has to take all of that away if he wants to win. And, and, you know, like I talked
2: about that mental pressure, that's part of it. Not knowing where the next strike is going to come from. But I do think Glover Teixeira, if anyone, is, you know, he can handle that. Uh, You know, he still can get knocked out. But you get what I'm saying. I don't think Glover will break... Because of the pressure and the unorthodox threats, I think he'll break if those unorthodox threats land, for sure. But there is a difference there. Uh, But, you know, Prochaska, Luke, as much as we are romanticizing old guy Glover for all the right reasons and kind of like, you know, we sat down with him on the couch, he's amazing. If he wins, you'll be like, damn, you know, score one for the old guys. On the flip side, Prochaska is really the perfect fan-friendly uh, champion if he gets there because of the all-action variety, the, the the unorthodox nature. But also, Luke, he's like cosplaying in real life as like a ninja. I mean, he's like a video game character. It's great. The shtick rules. I love it. So if that's the direction this fight goes, you're certainly going to love that. But it is just his third UFC fight. And bringing back in Shaq, Luke, uh, Shaq Majuri did say, look, uh... What did you learn from watching Glover Teixeira against Jan Blachowicz? You know that can inform your chances of taking the title on Saturday.
3: Everybody sees that. Everybody sees that that was not the Jan who's fought with uh, with Reyes or or whoever. Yeah, <laughs> that was just an, another another Jan Blachowicz. And okay. and it's up to us how we uh, how we know how to. How to work with ourselves? Mm -hmm. How to uh, how to how to uh, how to start or work with ourselves when it's some something bad, something uh, good, something uh, yes. Sometimes you are Mm. so much energy and you have to keep yourself down. Sometimes you are so down, so you have to mm, uh, keep keep yourself more more up. Yeah, like uh, in energy. For sure. Mm. Luke, although that was a lot of uh,
2: weirdness in that, the point of how he started it is, Yuri believes that was not Jan Blahovich that night, and we have talked about this. That's the worst night at the office for Blahovich. You know, he said afterwards he his body sort of failed him; he just didn't feel like himself. It happens. You can have an off night. How much should we be looking at that and sort of saying? Maybe there's some fool's gold, like great victory, Glover. You were the right guy at the right time, but this ain't Jan, and this also ain't compromised Jan. This is a whole different beast, than
0: Um, I'm willing to accept that that was not Jan's best night, but I also think that you know Glover didn't do anything outrageous relative to what Glover does. That was pretty standard Glover, if you ask me. So while I can accept that a, a, another fight with Blahovich could go differently, it wasn't like. You can say that Jan had an off night, fine, but you can't say that Glover had like some exceptional night. Glover just did Glover things. So, um, fine, I'm willing to believe that. But, dude, the the bigger point is Blahovic and Prochka are just entirely different fighters. You know, Blahovic can blitz on occasion, but he's very careful about seeing what's coming checking kicks, getting out of the way, firing when he has a good opportunity, defensively wrestling when he has to, offensively wrestling when he has to. Like there's very, there's just real careful consideration about his game in large part. Perhatchka is the exact opposite of that dude. He is I mean, he is just a, a the Tasmanian devil in there. So, you know, whether or not it's true that Glover beat an opponent who was somewhat less of himself, and maybe there's something to be said for that. But at the same time, they're such radically different op- opponents. I, I don't really know what to infer from that other than they, they were what they were, which is a tautology. But, you know, that is, that is the case. Indeed, indeed. All right, Luke, it's time to take this thing home for this main event fight.
2: Uh, one more tidbit. It's a little more of the magic side of it. But Glover Teixeira did say, I believe, in the UFC Countdown episode that when he bought his house... And he told us, you know, he still lives in a very humble house. I think he said he bought it after, like, his third or fourth UFC fight. In the basement, there were four walls, and he said to himself at that point, my goal, it, he bought four poster frames, and he says, my goal is to have one on each wall. And he's referencing him as the face of the poster headlining a pay-per-view. And he said, basically, I had one with Jones, and then I had one with, you know, when I won the title, and now I got one here, I need one more. OK, maybe that's just, you know, again, romanticized, like, you know, maybe there's one more. If he wins here, there's probably will be one more. Um, call me crazy here, Luke. I'm riding the old man's strength. The more yeah. I look at this, I know the danger. I know that year is just different. But I also know the, the the unexplained, the potential weaknesses, the unknown about what does this fight look like if it goes in rounds four and five. How does Yeri respond if he gets ragdolled for a couple rounds and his gas tank really gets yanked on? There's a lot of things here. I've also seen Glover at this level recently take big strikes and come back and respond from major adversity. I, I, I'm liking Glover to share by submission here, Luke. Call me crazy.
0: I don't think it's crazy at all. The uh, the odds speak to this being very, very, very close. I mean, very close. This is a very difficult fight to. I know some folks are going to be, oh, is going to win, no problem. And maybe there's some folks who think the same about Glover, given some of the other considerations. But to me, this is very much a coin flip. In the interest of the segment, I'm going to ride with Prohachka. I have gone back and forth and back and forth. I absolutely do believe that people are sleeping on Glover. Perhaps I am one of them by virtue of picking Prohachka. I don't think so, because I take Glover's chances of winning quite seriously. But I just feel like, wow, here's, here's what I think. Brohochka's style is going to cost him eventually. I really believe that, unless he does something to clean it up. Somebody is going to take advantage of it as he gets older and the durability is not there. Like He's coasting a little bit on the fact that his body can accept this damage. Well, when the body can't, the the way in which all the other pieces work will fall apart. It is contingent upon him being durable. But he is durable. And so while I have some questions about his ground game, they are real ones, and Glover is a, a legit black belt, certainly for MMA purposes on the ground. I think Prohach is going to find a way to get it done. I think the the vulnerability of a guy like Glover is probably maybe going to show itself here a little bit against a just a wild bronco of a fighter in Prohachka. So it's a coin flip, really, but I'll slightly lean towards Prohachka. I can't wait for this. Seriously, this has been a sort of a slow burn in
2: Brew and now... You know, we got closer, and it's like, damn, I really, really love this fight. I can't wait to see how it turns out. Luke, uh, the co event offers yet another title fight as Valentina Shevchenko looks for the seventh defense of her 125-pound title. She welcomes Tyla Santos riding a four-fight win streak from Brazil. Uh, we talked earlier this week, Luke, Santos has the best odds as an underdog of any one of the seven title defenses. Only Joanna, in in uh, their vacant title bout, had, had a closer chance, according to odds makers. We've done that debate, Luke. Is it better for Santos to be fully well-rounded to have the best shot at, at upsetting Shevchenko? Or, or does it need to be that one dominant skill? But when you watch these UFC highlight packages, and I know sometimes they're infused with sort of, you know, comments that puff fighters up and forgets flaws or, or losses or whatever. But, you know, they tend to frame Tyler Santos as, as a damaging, deadly striker. Do you believe she has the striking if she obviously has the chin game plan and all those other intangibles behind that to potentially make this at least a competitive fight on the feet, Luke? Are we going to see a, a anything but the type of one-sided rampages that we've come to know from Valentina at this weight class?
0: No, actually, this one could be a little, um, what would be a decent comparison? Not in the, Not that it might look the same, but it might have a certain kind of feel, which is to say... Holloway versus Edgar, which, you know, you look at the scorecards and Holloway ran away with it. But each round was kind of close because Holloway had to defend takedowns and there was not a whole lot of offense that either guy was meaningfully able to land. Holloway obviously got the better of it. But, you, you know, the thing is, it's like, I think Santos can make this close. And people don't want to admit this, but Shevchenko can all routinely be a very defensive fighter. Everyone and their brother wants to blame the Carmouche versus Shevchenko fight, strictly on Carmouche, And okay, she bears a ton of responsibility and probably more because she was the one who wanted to wrestle the title away, so to speak. And so you should probably do more if that's your opportunity. Still, it wasn't like Shevchenko was some kind of offensive dynamo in that fight. There's been a lot of fights where she's not been an offensive dynamo. Now, obviously, we have the Jessica I fight and some other ones as well, you know, Juliana Pena, where she's been a dynamic finisher. But um, Tyla Santos is very good and she is very well-rounded. She can wrestle a little bit. She can push the, the pace when she needs to. She has good striking, good shot selection. She has good cardio from what I've seen. She has good uh, ground and pound on top at times. Yeah, dude, she can do a lot. I, but I go back to what we said on Wednesday, BC, which was, okay, can she make this competitive? No doubt in my mind she's going to make this competitive. But what does she have that's going to get her over the hump to make Shevchenko make a mistake? What's that one skill she can lord over her? Dude, I don't see that. That's the part I don't see.
2: Yeah, it's like, can you talk yourself into the idea that she can land enough strikes early and put the threat of her power out there that Valentina goes into a much more defensive uh, type of setup and looks to counterpunch? Uh, Certainly that's possible here. But Shevchenko also can completely win fights from that posture and completely shut you down. And it's like... I I like. I I got excited when this fight was announced openly because it's it's sort of like okay, someone fresh blood, someone new, different, a little bit, you know, more in their in their absolute prime, more of on on a confident run, everything. But when you look at a champion that has dominated for so long, and we've we've done this with all of them, with Amanda Nunes recently, you start starting to look, you know, during the reign, is are are they getting older without us really realizing? Is their focus going? Is their commitment going? I just, you know, are they overconfident? While Valentina is supremely confident, I still don't even think she's overconfident. I don't see any flaw or hole in her game. So it's like, could Tyler Santos slow the pace down with the threat of her striking and kind of make this into a weird sort of chess match that could open the door for her to push forth late and try to steal the fight? That would really need to see a very passive Shevchenko. That would need to see a Shevchenko who, when she makes that adjustment, starts counter-striking and looking to land big shots, that Santos would have the adjustment on top of that to try to force out, you know, deeper down the hand of Shevchenko. What's your plan C and D and E? I mean, what plan can she push her to? What, what's a win here for Tyler to push Shevchenko into plan B of her, of her, of her attack? That might be I'm still not in a position where I can realistically create a path to victory in my mind because this fighter is, is an alien. This fighter is just the the uh, almost perfect Luke. This is an almost perfect fighter that you're looking at at the absolute peak apex of her of her greatness. And I'm just saying, not now, not this time, not this opponent. It, I've been wrong before. Thank you, Juliana Pena, but but this ain't it, Luke.
0: I mean, I was gonna say. uh I would be prepared for, you know, again, MMA is crazy. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt that everyone has to understand that, you know, making bold predictions in MMA is not wise. But one thing I would say you should at least consider, this fight could be quite boring. It could be quite boring because Santos might find herself in a position where she's really not able to exact much damage or land with a whole lot. And then Shevchenko is a little bit ahead of her. Maybe he gets a takedown, doesn't necessarily do a whole lot with it. And so you're like, okay, you'll lean towards the champion, but nothing really of significance happens either way, more so for Shevchenko than the other way around. But, you know, and it could be five rounds of that. This could, not, this could very well be the kind of thing that doesn't, would be very impressive in the sense that, you know, it would be another title defense for Shevchenko, but like not the one you look back on as, oh, right, this was one of the most dynamic performances of her career. Again, I'm going to go back to it. Shevchenko can retreat to relatively defensive postures um, in terms of how she fights, This is not like Jessica I, who's going to march her down and then just get timed by virtue of the way in which she's galloping in. Santos is much more clever than that. So I would be cautious about this one. I don't really see a clear path for Santos to win, but I would very much caution folks being like, oh, well, Shevchenko's just some beast. She's going to knock her head off. Uh, I don't know about that either.
2: So you're saying it may end up having to be a four rounds to one for Shevchenko, but you're like, man, that was way more competitive and, and... but, you know, the thing that doesn't give me any worry should Santos overachieve, you know, more than we think but not enough to take over the fight, that Shevchenko could be threatened to to lose, you know, a backdoor decision on a lack of output. Because you can, argue, you can look back on the Jennifer Maya fight, and even though she wasn't compromised, meaning the champion, uh, physically from, like, taking big damage, strategically in the way you look and potentially judge the rounds with the wrestling success of Maya, there were adjustments needed. And you did see Shevchenko in the championship rounds, Luke— you know, speed up her output and really try to take it to, to Maya on the feet. Now, is is Talia Santos a, a more dangerous threat on the feet than Jennifer Maya? I would say, of course. So yes. it may not be that cut and clean and easy. But, you know, I, I just, again, I can't find a hole in Shevchenko's game that, that can be exploited in this matchup. But, you know, that's why we tune in. That's why we watch him. And, again, I, I hate to put that as a damper on a fight that I got excited when it was booked for all the right reasons. And it's still going to be interesting to watch. Come Saturday night,
0: Luke. Dude, I mean, just just consider this, right? Just consider this. Strikes absorbed per minute for Valentina Shevchenko, 1.87. Dude, they can barely land a glove on her. That is so insanely low, not just for any fighter, but for a ranked fighter, and especially for a ranked fighter who's got this many fights in the UFC. She just doesn't get hit very cleanly very often. She doesn't take a lot of damage. Her takedown defense at 77%, that's pretty good. Santos, by the way, her takedown defense at 88%, which is also pretty good. Um, and they both, can, I mean, they're, they're, again, I'm, I, I hate to use this word, BC, and, and I really want to avoid it. I can't stand when a good athlete is described as like a poor man's version of like a great athlete or a very, very elite athlete. It's just that Tyler Santos happens to be good at many of the same things that Shevchenko is, just a, just a half step behind, just a half yeah. step behind all the way. So she could make it competitive. She could have the fight of her night, but she's going to have to show us something against Shevchenko that, while the stats speak to her how good she is, there's going to have to be another level she reaches, which she might it's certainly possible. But remember, Tyler Santos just 19 and one dude. Like they don't. There's not a lot of gaps in her game either. Yeah, you know, I look back and I
2: thought the Andrade fight would be competitive, and then you know when when Valentina did absolutely destroy her. You go, okay, but, you know, Andrade is sort of a one-note fighter, so I could see where she could be exposed if you can take her to that point. Santos is so well-rounded that I, I'm pretty confident this one's going the distance, Luke. I like Valentina by by decision. Couldn't she finish her? Of course. But I'm going to give Santos the respect and, and say that she is going to make Shevchenko have to make adjustments to to some things. But in the end, who's going to do the better work, dude? The thing about Shevchenko, I think above all else, what I love, her accuracy is just ridiculous. And it's it allowed her to be an undersized sharpshooter at Bantamweight. But at 125, when the size is more even, Luke, I mean, she just doesn't miss. Whether she's counterpunching, whether she's leading with the jab, whether she's throwing combos to the body, kicks. I mean, she is just so uh, on point that it is going to be hard to get a decision against her. Let's go four rounds to one, Shevchenko.
0: Yeah. yeah, by the way, to your point, I mean, this is what I mean about the difference between Shevchenko and Santos. Right, Shevchenko, striking accuracy, 52%. That's pretty good. Striking accuracy for Santos, 50. Just a tick behind. This is what I mean. You see this constantly. Just a little tick behind in all kinds of ways. So I take your point. I agree with you. I think Shevchenko's going to win probably, you know, four rounds to one, something like that as well. I, I share your pick. Um, but I would caution folks. Oh, the one, little, the one little note here. Santos does have a two-inch reach advantage. Could be noteworthy. Also, this is going to be Southpaw versus Orthodox. Open stance. Which means there could be, there is a little bit of a propensity for what that could mean with head kicks, body kicks, uh, straights and crosses, given when you have that opposite stance there. That could get a little interesting. Also, head butts too. So, something to pay attention to with that. But I agree with your assessment. Four rounds to one probably for Shevchenko. I certainly think she wins here.
2: All right. The only non title fight of this uh, trio of big fights stopping the card is arguably the best one here and certainly the people's main event from the fan love standpoint. And it's a rematch of former 115 pound champions, Zhang Wei Li and Joanna Young-Jacek. Wei Li with the disputed, but earned, of course, uh, split decision win in 2020, right before the pandemic, the greatest fight in female MMA history and both Luke, Fighting again for another shot at the title, something Dana White doubled down on again this week. Absolutely, this is a number one contenders match. Luke, I know I said things on on Monday that were made it confusing and made it sound like I thought this was a five round fight. I was 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 referencing. I was referencing when it was originally thrown out there by Ioana that if the fans want it five rounds, it could be, and I was sort of tailoring my an early analysis toward that. I do know that it is now three rounds, although I, I mistakenly said, you know, could it be four rounds to one, which makes you think, forget about it. It's three rounds on a, on a surface. Okay, we we already laid the foundation of uh, two years later. Yoana hasn't fought, but she's refreshed. Wei Li lost twice to Rose Namajunas, but she seems not only refreshed but a, a better fighter. How much will the three-round distance impact the pace, the strategy, everything we're going to see Saturday night? Because it's so damn rare to see either of these fighters in a big three-round fight.
0: Uh, dude, I, so I rewatched the first fight last night. I got to tell you, there are so many different ways this could go. I was blown away by just... So the biggest first thing I saw was a lot of the leg kicks. Now, they were a consistent presence for Ioana, but she had to kind of dial them back uh, early in the second round because she was getting timed and blitzed off of him by Zhang Wiley. So to what extent is the kicking game going to be distributed, head, body, and then leg? That's a big question mark for me. Another one was um, you saw Zhang Wiley saying she's going to wrestle more. Now she's with Henry Cejudo. You saw her catch kicks a little bit in the fight with Ioana, but you saw her catch a bunch in the case of Rose Namajunas. So, dude, like, you know that the punching power of, of Ioani and Jacek is not significant. I think that's pretty fair to say. She can land, and it matters, and it hurts opponents. But you think of the more devastating things she's done. It's leg kicking, it's elbowing along the fence line. Her elbows are vicious. I certainly grant her that, but the punching power is not super significant in this weight class. So the kicking game is going to have to be a part of it. To what extent can Wai Lee neutralize that? On the other hand, one thing that did seem kind of interesting to me is Zhong Lee is a very good athlete, but her ground control is not super strong. She's a little loose with her positioning. And so as a consequence, Rose is able to like kick her off and stand numerous times. To what extent will she try and like, you know, have a much more like, I'm going to wrap the head with my arm to control the, the the spine at the the two opposite ends. What's that going to be like? Is Juana is, is going to be able to get up? Another one was, you know, you heard the commentators being like, oh, well, Zhang Li is stronger in the clinch. And that's going to prove itself. It was somewhat neutral-ish in the first fight, BC. But what I did notice was, if you ask me who got more offense in those positions, it was and Injacek. She was able to do much more with those positions than, in terms of meaningful offense, I'll say, than Zhang Wiley. So, dude, you go back, you're asking about the three rounds. I think that's going to make the pace electric, but it's more yeah. about what changes are they going to have to make to get their best offense there. And the big challenge for Injacek is... Kicking is really her way to win this one. That I think that's just going to be a reality. Yes, other things complementing. It's not just kicking, of course, but that's the big, big method of her of her offense. If Zhang Wei Li can take away the leg kicks and or you know catch kicks and then constantly dump her for it, even if there's no meaningful offense, what is the secondary way for her to win? It's funny. Joanna is a crisper, more I think direct kind of striker. She's just got real clear, clean technique. Zhong Wai is a better athlete, but she's much more all over the place a little bit. And if she can dial that back, or conversely, if Ioana can open up a little bit, dude, this fight could look very different than the first one. I actually am more intrigued about this one. But maybe the main event I'm most intrigued about. But with any other fight on the card, it's definitely this one. This one could be of extraordinary, course. but a completely different fight the second time around. Absolutely. I mean, you, just the fact that it's a rematch of the greatest you know, female
2: fight of all time and really a top three or five you know, regardless of gender fight, if we're really being serious and now you got the title on top of it, the title potential for the winner. Oh man. I mean, it, it, it's, it's wild. Look, they came in ridiculously good shape for this. Did you see them on the scales and then the face off? Like they are prepared to go after it, but your point uh, about it, it not only were we going to see a high pace. I think it's guaranteed when you go from five rounds to three and knowing it's a smaller, you know, uh, window to get your offense in, of course, but it's going to be the adjustments and the nuances that make it. And I don't know if you caught Brett Okamoto of ESPN.com's oral history of their first fight in which he chatted with both fighters, trainers, the ref, the, one of the three judges. Uh, it's a good, you know, in, insightful piece. You hear Mike Brown, the coach of uh, Young Jacek at ATT, and Yoana herself say, you know, they came in with a very different game plan that, that was going to be more about distance and kicks. And a lot of things you're saying, Luke— but it turned instead into Ioana just biting down and doing what she loves, which is just mauling and fighting and trying to prove to the other person that she can outlast them. And, you know, she's out cardioed a lot of people with that sort of just ridiculous demon that she keeps inside of her, loop that's just going to keep coming at a huge pace. It's not that she didn't make slight adjustments and do certain things. I mean, really, both both of them, as much as we think of it as two trains colliding over and over, they're, they're, if you rewatch it, like you mentioned, there is so, some adjustments. It still was arguably a, an overly aggressive Ioana. With the time off, physically and mentally now being refreshed, could you see her and Mike Brown coming out with uh, a mo- You know, still high pace, still movement-based, but a lot more misdirection, a lot more control of distance. Yes. Because if they do stand and trade, uh, you know, I know you want to said in that Brett piece that everyone says, Whaley's the bigger puncher, but you know, rewatch the fight. I'm, I'm the one landing the bigger shots and she's not catching me as clean as people think. I don't think you want to stand and trade with Whaley in the rematch. She's even stronger and even better of a fighter there. Uh, how, what, what do you see from coach Mike Thomas Brown here and, and Ioana in terms of how they might look at this?
0: Faints. Faints. And I know that's sort of like an overused thing here, but you go back and you watch the first fight. Ioana was fainting a lot in the first round and then just gave it up completely, you know, and for the reasons you stated, like it just turned into, it just, the fight turned into what it turned into, which is better for us. And it was a tremendous contest, but Yoana kind of gave up on that early. And again, that was part of the leg kicks too. She was kind of fainting, fainting, and then trying to get a leg kick. And then all Zhong Wiley was waiting for was the leg kicks so to, then, to then blitz. But I really believe to that point, like, there's a couple of times, for example, you'll see you'll want to duck in, come in to throw a shot, whatever, come over the top, and then just stand right back up. Now, why do I bring this point up? Because if you come in like this and then you stand up, it doesn't matter that your head is lowered. It's still on the same vertical, or I should say horizontal line. The vertical line changes, sorry, the vertical space changes, but the horizontal line is simply right there in front of you. So you would just see Zhang Wiley Lee match it and then come up with the left hook because the head didn't move. What you need to see. I think, from Joanna in this fight are feints. And I'm going to add angles on top of that. Angles, 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 angles. If you can misdirect, if you can get her to stutter step, if you can get the timing or the hands to transfer defense, that's big. But if you're just going in there and slugging it out with someone who, yes, I do think that Joanna is a better striker than Zhang Wylie, but not by a, necessarily a huge margin. It's significant, but not that big. But I also think, BC, and I think you would agree, again, I scored the first fight for Joanna. Big difference to me was power and athleticism and a little bit of durability. You just that's a I'm not saying you want to can't win playing that game again, but dude, that's probably not your best method of victory. Your best method of victory is going to be getting in, getting out, getting in, changing angles, and then popping her after that. That's got to be the key. And the key to doing that is going to be feints, footwork, and angles, rolling under hooks, you know, changing, pivoting, all that kind of stuff. She has to really. Put that into this because if it's just two bulls or two Rams running into each other, hey, that's a hell of a fight for us. And again, the first right. time I did think Yolanda should have gotten her hand raised, but that's a you can admit you can admit, dude. That's a that's a really sketchy proposition. That's hardly any kind of clear roadmap to success. And you've only got three rounds too. be see some of the better rounds for to happen a little bit later in the fight. Absolutely. Dude, this this has got to be a this has got to be a smarter fight. I think I mean, for Yoana if she wants to win.
2: Think about the second Claudia Godella fight uh, from 2016, the title fight UFC 200 weekend. Um, that was Godella winning the first two rounds, the first two and a half rounds, really, with with, with wrestling and, and pace. And then once she started to fade just a bit from all the energy she used, Joanna comes on because she's just a cardio fitness freak. In three rounds, she's gonna have to do a lot, but it's gonna have to be not always moving forward. It's like we're saying, the feints, the circling away, but you see the shape she, I mean, look, she's in sick shape this time around, as is Wei Lee. I wonder if that, I mean, that's gotta be. The lack of power in Joanna forces her to have to use her cardio and her speed and her pace uh, as a weapon. So I think that's automatic in this case. But you said you, you scored it for Ioana. I scored it 3-2 to for Whaley, but I think we both can say it, it, it's a coin flip. But if you're going to ask me, why did I ultimately score it 3-2 for Whaley? I thought she landed the harder blows. So if, if the offense is fairly even, it looked like she did more damage. And why did it look like? Well, there's a giant thing growing out of Ioana's head. So let me ask you this, Luke, because if you do read that Okamoto piece, Ioana says, look it was my body's reaction to like a you know blood vessel being popped or whatever happens to create a hematoma like that but she's like it didn't hurt these 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 punches that that wayley were landing weren't as big as people thought they looked i was getting out of the way a lot of those but she believes the visual image is ultimately what swayed the judges in a fight that's so damn close. Now, look, that, the, the thing started really in round three. It was a headbutt in round one that started it, but it really went big in round three. And all three judges scored that round for Ioana. And that's the only round of the five rounds where all three judges agreed. So you can argue. But do you think there's something there that if you do look back at the first fight and take away that hematoma, if you can, in your mind... Did Joanna visually have the better striking night? And should she have gotten the, the hand raised? And how much do you believe that grotesque softball potentially in rounds four and five sway the judges the other way?
0: I am less sympathetic to that being a contributing factor. I mean, I, I certainly recognize it probably did. I'm not going to say that. Oh, it played no role. Eh, it probably played a role. But this was the bigger one to me. And this was the one knock. Like when I was watching it yesterday, I was like, through three rounds, I was like, how did I score this fight for Joanna? And then she kind of came on a little bit later. Um, although you could say she won the first one as well but the first round but the the point that I want to make was the one thing I did maybe not pay as much attention to the first time that I did see the second one which I think maybe contributed to why folks scored it for Zhang Wai Li which I share your assessment is a utterly reasonable scorecard dude when, when Zhang Wai Li hit her she moved a lot more and when Yowana hit her it wasn't quite like that now Yowana did bloody her up swole her face up don't get me wrong after five rounds of that Neither of them were coming out of there looking like they were ready for the prom. But, you know, you could see there were times where she would stumble Joanna. even if it were not like rocking her, just the force of the impact, pushing her off of her base, pushing her off of her balance. I think there was a lot of those that made a big difference. Also, I'm going to go back to it, B.C. You know, you can say whether you, this should matter or shouldn't or it's applied unevenly. I go back to the fact that Israel Adesanya or Adesanya or, Adesanya or whatever, the, I don't know how to say it. The point is a lot of times he accumulates leg kicks and a lot of folks don't like that and it can get real difficult to assess what's the difference between that and then someone punching him and rocking his head back. But dude getting your head rocked back is a very demonstrative thing. Unless you stumble on the leg on a leg kick you know it doesn't look the same way even though those leg kicks could be impactful. I guess the point I'm trying to make is the, the better athlete certainly the stronger athlete of the two is Zhang Lee and her punching power appears to be much more significant. And I think that over time was probably a bigger role to play there. Although they both landed elbows on each other and both of those elbows caused visible damage as well. Absolutely. Uh, Luke, if we
2: paint that potential scenario where it did... The visual, you know, her Joanna's chances on the Lee side, even though she didn't make it in that story, a point to try to make it as an excuse, but just telling her story. Sometimes we forget that this fight happened right before the pandemic, but things were already starting to shut down. And Zhang Lee's journey to that fight in Las Vegas that night uh, was wild. She had like last-minute drop everything, fly to what, Thailand, and then they suddenly told her, No, you have to fly to Abu Dhabi if you want to make the fight in Vegas. So then she did that, and then she says by the time she got to Vegas, She's just a zombie, and she essentially went into that fight on instinct in some ways. If you're going to lean on that as, as a sort of way, I almost can believe it, Luke, because I respect the journey she went on, and she did seem to get off to a little bit of a slow start and got surprised by Joanna before kind of just getting into zombie mode herself and coming forward. <laughs> I know she's lost twice since then, but we certainly can both agree that she not only seems to have gotten stronger, bulked up, rounded out her game better with the wrestling, but I don't really see any compromise from the physical toll she took in that fight or the first round head kick knockout against Rose. Maybe that was a little bit, you know, less of, 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 the prime premier version she could have been that night. And she just gutted it out and won it. Another thing to think about.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Also the one thing that was kind of big the first time around will be something to pay attention to. They talked about how important the weight cut was for Joanna. Yes. And how the fact that she was durable was a function of having a better weight cut. I don't know what kind of weight cut she had. You saw her on the scales. I did too. Tremendous physical condition. But, you know, it does seem to me that, like, her weight cut has to be exactly on point for her to have the kind of durability she needs. Now, again, we will go back to it. Three-round contest versus a five, whatever. But, dude, she was getting lit up in the first two rounds. All three rounds, both of them were getting lit up. Um, I, I am also, in, the, in addition to the facts you're bringing up for, for her opponent... I also want folks to remember that if there's any issues with her weight cut, that could also change the equation here as well. But yes, dude, wrong I And mean, don't forget, she got with Henry Cejudo in the whole nine yards, and um, Yuri Prohachka as well to an extent. Uh, a lot of X factors that could make. Yeah. I, I really believe that this one is, dude, totally up for grabs. Totally. Yeah. up for grabs.
2: Joanna did a, did appear to make the weight good though, and her and Mike Brown both put that on Instagram. I know you know you can just good. say it, but. Ever since to started using the Performance Institute to cut weight, it has changed for not only her, but a lot of fighters, and it's been a relief, and now she's doing it the right way. Let's not forget, back during her reign, I remember it was UFC 211, uh, not 211, uh, yeah, the one in Dallas, right? That was 211, that was what, 2017, where yes, I talked to she her. Yeah, since on
0: Drage? yes.
2: Yes, and she was basically saying, like, you know, I don't think I can make this weight again, I want to eventually have children, like, this is maybe unhealthy for me, and I think the, the stark difference between now and then is just the, the education and learning how to do it you know, properly, the scientific way. So I don't think that'll be a problem. God, the idea of five rounds to three, Luke, is just making me uh, think, even with the strategic and uh, changes we're going to see, that it may just end up being a perfect. It may just end up being beautiful in the end. But who gets the damn edge? I, I, Luke, I, dude, I wonder if they look at the tape and think, well, Wei got caught with that head kick from Rose. Is she vulnerable there? You said kicking could be a bit, has to be a big part of her game. We don't look at Ioana, uh, you know, as the kicking. We look at for for you know calf strikes and sort of controlling distance. But do you ever look at Joanna as a dangerous kicker, a fight-ending kicker? She's had two years, and she's you know to her credit, despite taking the time off, has been in the gym consistently and always training. Could we see an advanced kickboxing game out of her Has that, that the two years may have hid from what she's been working on? What do you mean? Could we see Joanna threatening to end fights with kicks like Rose did to Wei Lee in their first
0: game? Oh, fight? oh. Um, possible, unlikely. Unlikely. She plays a distance game, too, where she likes to be very careful about it to just land clean. Again, okay, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. If she can, like Rose puts in feints and movement and whatnot, if Joanna can incorporate some of that, get out of that sort of like plant your feet tie style, which of course is the one she comes from. If she can adapt if she can adapt to a more movement-based style a little bit. And again, doesn't it be tremendous, but a little bit. It makes, it makes a big difference. Yes, then it's very possible. But short of that, no. All right. As it goes, Luke, here's the deal.
2: I think there's too many factors when you—I mean, you have to break it down with a fine-tooth comb. You have to guess on things you don't know. How much will the layoff affect Joanna? How much, you know, how much is the receipt from that first fight going to affect her? We haven't seen her since then. I I think it's going to be close, and I really do think it's going to be great. But I think Whaley is just just a little bit fresher, a little bit more well-rounded— And maybe there's just as many reasons to believe, you know, like I mentioned, that, you know, she got through a really tough night at the office the first time and got her hand raised. But I think she's even better now. She's just physically uh, a force at this point. I think it'll be a three-round decision. I think there's reason to like Whaley more than Joanna. But I'm certainly not discounting the heart, the ingenuity, the strategy that a Champion can bring back to this opportunity. I mean, look, you got to give her credit. The two years she took off, she played the game in terms of leverage and business the right way. She came back for big money in the fight she wanted. Now she's got a chance to go right back into another title fight. But Whaley's, in in almost every category, is giving me reasons to like her just that much more entering this one.
0: I got to tell you, if this was a five-round contest, I think I might change my pick. But because it's three, that's a big one for me. And the other one is, man... Just too many questions for me with Joanna. I mean, the two-year-plus absence is—I I don't know what to make of that. Again, I've said it before. I do think that's good for her health, and I do think that will be somewhat advantageous competitively, in the sense that you can go into this fresh and not, you know, completely damaged. On the other hand, that's a long time off. Who knows what condition she's in after that fight? Again, you're not going to leave that fight in the same condition that you entered it. And so for those reasons, I absolutely believe that this is a very winnable fight in either direction. But for those reasons aforementioned, I'm going to side with, with Zhang Li on this one. I just think that there's too many questions about Yoana, But I'll say this, dude. She comes out and she shows what she's made of. And, and there's a very real possibility of that. I'd be all too happy to eat quail. Like whatever my personal differences with her, I recognize she's a tremendous, tremendous talent. And I think if any fighter is capable of a big rebound, it's probably her.
2: Yeah and if and even if she there is a rebound potential just the same I believe for Joanna should she lose a great fight here and I know she wants big fights only, but, I mean, you know, you could imagine her rematching in Andrade. She, uh, the trilogy with Rhodes could come up one day. I mean, there's still some, sure. you know, Absolutely. really great fights she can make if she wants to. I can't wait for this one. All right, Luke, topic four is a little bit of MMA smorgasbord. Let's stay on UFC 275. Unfortunately, we just lost another fight on the main card as Rogerio Bontarin had uh, weight issues, Luke, that forced him to not – I don't even think he made it to the scale, unfortunately. His fight against uh, – who was he fighting, Luke? Cape, cape manny cape manel cop uh manel cop uh i was looking forward to it would have been good it's off the card now so as you look up and down obviously we talked about jack della madalena uh bob dabolina is that the best fight of what's left in terms of your interest heading into Saturday?
0: yeah for me that's definitely the one that's interesting i will add one more to this it's not crazy interesting to me but i do like it Ah, uh, Brendan Allen taking on uh, Robert Whitaker, training partner Jacob Malkoon. Jacob Malcun ha- is a bit of a grinder. I think Brent. Here's the thing. I think Brendan Allen is very talented, very, very talented, but sometimes he has, I don't think, used all of his abilities in the way that he should, and that's a learning process. You know, it's hard, not for me to say. That's for his coaches to figure out and him as well. But I think that the ceiling on Allen is a little bit higher. But the Malkoon fight is interesting because is has got a real kind of meat and potatoes grinder attitude. But if Allen tries to get too clever with it, a guy like Malcoon could be trouble. However, if a guy like Allen really leans on his substantial abilities, and I do believe in them, he should win this one walking away. So this is going to be a real test of not his skills per se, but his maturity. His maturity through the learning experiences, yeah. both winning and losing, to get him to the next level. He's a very talented guy. I'd like to see that show up in this contest.
2: Uh, Luke, I'm going to be looking at this welterweight bout between uh, Jake Matthews and Andre Fialo. We've seen some uh, good one. Mm-hmm. you know, equally big highs and lows for the Portuguese product Fialo, but Luke, he can hammer. Uh, you know, I think he could be somebody that that can be coming on, so I'm going to be and focusing Jake Matthews on that. Jake Matthews
0: was you know, a big promise out of Australia, and he's definitely gotten better, but I don't think he has quite reached the levels that folks thought he might. Uh, yes. I think folks, not that they were saying he's the next Robert Whitaker, but I think they had hopes that he would reach you know a relatively similar level of ability or acclaim and he's done well 17 to 5 record but he's not certainly we would both agree he's not done what robert whitaker has done not even close um you know winning a fight like this doesn't get him there but it puts him on a much better path than losing a fight like this losing a fight like this would kind of tell you well maybe that ship has sailed
2: luke the uh, mma roundup news continues with ufc uh cutting lewis smolka the 30-year-old, I believe he's, he lost uh, two, three of his last four, two of his last three. I can look it up. Uh, but still, Luke seemed to have something in the tank. Are you surprised by this?
0: You know, I like Lewis Smoka a lot. I've I, I, His fight to me with Ben Wynn was one of my, I really enjoy that fight. I talk about it all the time. I thought the way in which he used guillotines to control the guy in the wrestling department was unbelievable. Um, He's a very talented guy. You know, Did it work out for him in the UFC through two different stints? No, but to your point, I think just 30. And the other point is this. Dude, he is an all-action, all-fun fighter. Win or lose, Louis Smolka is in very exciting contests. He himself said he was eager to try free agency. It's an interesting moment in free agency in MMA, such as you want to call it that. I think there are are still some really high moments left for him. Maybe not so much in the UFC octagon, but in some other places. So, sucks, but maybe uh, all's well that ends well, depending on how things turn out. Yeah, you mentioned
2: the most damaging fact that, yeah, he did he had lost three of his last four, but they were they were big losses submitted by Casey Kennedy, knocked out by Vince Morales, knocked out by Davey Grant. So uh, he swings big, he goes for it, he's fun to watch. We'll see where he bounces back in the future. Luke Dana White caught up with our friend Aaron Bronstetter of TSN, and, you know, Aaron was asking him about the likelihood of the UFC coming back to Canada soon, and Dana more or less said, quote, UFC unlikely to return to any countries with vaccine requirements and basically said that uh you know he doesn't he doesn't know he doesn't see Canada happening anytime soon because of that um luke that's that's um you know not crazy surprising but also kind of interesting because are we in a good spot covid wise are we going in the right direction i, I feel like we kind of should be past this no
0: um i don't know uh, well i mean it, it differs all over the planet um but certainly you know um, we're in a much better place than we were either from prevalence in the population, access to vaccines, other Paxlovid and other kinds of treatments. We're just in a much different place. I think the bigger issue is I'm going to give Dana the benefit of the doubt and and assume that this is not really a political thing that he's actually engaging in, but rather a logistical one, which is I don't know if I can bring a proper card to a country that requires vaccines, given how few of the fighters on the roster are maybe eligible given that they've had it so to me if that's the limiting factor then I don't really know what to say other than maybe the UFC could do more of an effort to get folks vaccinated but I think we both know you know given the politics in the sport that's probably you know trying to uh, piss into the wind a little bit so I don't really know what to say to be honest with you it w- I wish we weren't in this predicament either with having to have this ridiculous disease that's out there that does what it does or that people don't want the treatment, or whatever you want to call vaccines, uh, in, or that there are ways that it's mandated across borders—all of it is regrettable. Um, but if it's not going to change, Canada is just going to be asked out. I guess I don't—I don't know.
2: Luke, is Dana White hoping the public forgets that he promised Taichi Palace a huge card for their <laughs> willingness to break protocol, or do you think Dana has forgot that he promised Taichi Palace? I think—I
0: think Dana has. They can't do a fight night there. Like they can't do like one fight that was gonna be at the apex and just put it on Tachi Palace, but I guess you know what's happened. Someone over above, I, I guarantee Dana wanted to because Dana's actually pretty good about being. I said I would do this, and you know, like for example, like you know, if a fan was like, "Hey, can I get tickets?" Back in the day, he would always like be good about right. that. I bet he wanted to. I bet what happened was somebody over his head over at Disney or ESPN was like, "See, we're not gonna revisit that moment in time. We're just gonna move past it because I think there'd be some attention." If you went back to Tachi, they'd be like, oh, the place that you promised we would do this, where you wanted to, like, remember when they, Remember when Dana was like, oh, we figured it out, like, five days into COVID shutdowns, sure. he was like, yeah, we figured this out. I'm like, well, you definitely I have didn't. acquired
2: an island.
0: Yeah, is like, you definitely didn't. Yes. Uh, I think yes. that they just want to move past that. I, that's probably what it all comes down to. Yes.
2: Uh, Luke, also in uh, MMA news, uh, Askar Askarov, unfortunately, pulling out of this... Uh, must see flyweight bout out scheduled for July 16th in uh in on Long Island. He was supposed to fight Alex Perez. The, the the okay news is Alexandre Pantoja will fill in and still take on Perez. But Luke, Perez once fought for a title uh at last, you know, as a last minute replacement, but I don't think he's fought since then. And in this past two years, he's had six consecutive fights get canceled. That's wild,
0: Luke. I know, dude. That's the worst luck ever. But a lot of it was from the same guys, too. It's like, dude, maybe give him a fresh matchup. You know, and again, injuries happen, crazy things happen. We know the sport, but like, it's like, just just rotate in a fret, because there was a bunch that was supposed to happen with Matt Schnell, for example, and all those. Just rotate in somebody new. Give the guy somebody new, for fuck's sake, please. Yeah,
2: I'm with you on that. Uh, Luke, also making big headlines. I know you put an extra credit video out about it. Uh, Tim Kennedy, the uh, the uh, military hero, I'll call him, Luke. Damn right, thank him. And uh, ex-UFC uh, strike force fighter, was on Ariel Hawani's uh, MMA Hour and they in person, and they kind of went deep on a lot of these uh, topics, including the failed Bjorn rebney led Mixed Martial Arts, what, Athletes Association, MMA? That's
0: MA? right, double m uh, Uh-uh, double-M-triple-A,
2: okay. Uh, we all know we look back on that as a bit of a joke. GSP, Cowboy Cerrone come out in the press conference, Arm-in-Arm, Dillashaw, all that. It fell apart quickly. Now we're kind of finding out, based on Tim's uh, reveal here, how it did, Luke. It just kind of seems like uh, everyone got scared and then the whole thing fell apart. Not surprising, but you had a pretty harsh take, or not harsh, uh, aggressive take in the stance that it's never gonna happen.
0: Is that true? Is that what you said, Luke? In my lifetime, I don't think it will. In my lifetime. And that
2: means unionization or at the very least the the fighters being willing to risk it all for a better future is what you're saying. Yes.
0: And, you know, uh, Lucas Middlebrook, who was a uh, who was by the way, if you don't know who Lucas Middlebrook is, he was the attorney who ultimately was representing Nick Diaz when the commission tried to hand down a five year sentence. And he was a bulldog for Nick. And of course, there was a lot of public pressure and a lot of that got walked back. So um, Lucas Middlebrook has been at the forefront of fighter rights and fighter protections being missing. And I think we all agree that we would love to see more. The question is how you get there. There are some reasonable criticisms to make of what can actually be possible if you have a union because what really drives up pay is in a league model where teams can bid. If you don't really have that, what really drives up pay? It's a fair argument to make. There are a lot of other protections you could get, though, from a walkout such as you could get one through a collective bargaining agreement. So there's a real question of like what is actually the best way to get most people paid, and the answer might be depending on what you mean by most people. You could probably get maybe more benefits for the bottom end of the UFC fighters through a collective bargaining agreement via a union, maybe less so for the top, and so is that a better arrangement? But here's the bigger point. If the Professional Fighters Association from Jeff Boris can't get it done, if the double M, triple A with the heavy-handed list of fighters that they had, I mean, GSP, Cain Velasquez, if they can't get it done, and then Project Spearhead, they certainly made a full-throated effort at it, and I think they got further than most, but they didn't get far enough either. It's like, dude, at what point are we going to say – I just don't know how viable a strategy of unionization actually is in the current landscape. And so for those reasons, if you really care about fighter pay, what are the mechanisms to get it? Maybe you could look to the fighter lawsuit, but that is not in our immediate future and and very speculative. The other one is the Ali Act. And the reason why that's important is because while I know a lot of folks hold their noses at it, unionization doesn't seem very possible. And, And by the way, Lucas Middlebrook was involved with Project Spearhead. Uh, and you know, I don't know what to say about the lawsuit at this current juncture, so it just leaves you with that. And the other, the other sort of point there is you don't need a bunch of fighters to sign on to that. You just have the group that you have, the, uh, the MMA Randy Couture, um, Carlos Newton, Nate Quarry, so just a handful of guys who can then go and lobby. They did get bipartisan support in Congress in the last session. You know, that they had a bunch of Republicans, a bunch of Democrats. I mean, for once we can get, you know, people reaching across the aisle here. That is highly unusual. So um, I'm not saying that that is the best chance of getting something passed, but it seems a lot more likely than anything else. And so if you actually think in your mind, I want fighter pay to be different, what is the mechanism by which you get there? Fucking blockchain crypto fucking awards from fans is not the way (laughs) to meaningfully address fighter pay you have to yeah. change the industry i just think folks who hold their noses at oh well, what if mma turns into boxing okay but if you care about fighter pay what is your better alternative i'm willing to hear it i just don't see it
2: yeah i mean we're, we're gonna have to break a lot of eggs to, to make that omelet of, of fighters getting the treatment they want and it's not going to be a pretty road even if it happened and you know the i mean hearing the inside details there from kennedy and, and seeing you know how many people kind of flipped early either out of Fear, you know, of the UFC, or, or they just weren't unwilling to sign their name on the document to begin with, um, unless you have Luke. Uh, it, I don't know the percentage of fighters you need, but unless you have enough that it's going to impact the the UFC's day to day business significantly, and it's that bad of a PR uh, issue, you're not going to get any movement because any you know if you get a small minority of people standing firm. Well, the UFC just doesn't have to put them in the cage anymore, Luke. You know what I mean? It sort of is what it is, and there's right. going to be a, a, so many hungry people ready to take that. So at that point, that 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 can be a bad risk reward assessment, you know, in terms of you know if you speak out and and then you know uh, it doesn't go your way. But dude, look um, at
0: Cajun Johnson. Cajun Johnson was very outspoken for Project Spearhead. Boy, they gave him nothing but hammers yeah. on his way out the door, you know. And I saw it before. You're like, oh, UFC doesn't engage in retribution, dude. I mean, this was different. This was not for signing up for a union, but when Andre Arlovsky left the UFC the first time and was going to go to affliction, they tried to bury his ass when he fought Jake O'Brien. Now he got the better end of that. I think he surprised a lot of people. I'm sure Randy's got stories.
2: Randy's got a lot of those same stories
0: too. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, the, the fear of retribution, you know, there's, it works two ways. One was, Ooh, would they find out if I signed? Now that one seems to me somewhat of an irrational fear, but the other one is like, dude, I don't know how long I'm going to be in the UFC. Making it here is hard enough. Winning here is even more difficult. I got a short window. I want to make as much as possible. I'm not trying to rock the boat. I don't know how you fight that. The only way you fight that is you get Congress or a lawsuit to make them change. Short of that, good luck. Are, are, what do you take on the UFC's response, which is always Dana dismissing
2: it or, or inevitably, if he's pushed hard enough, going, well, you know, it's up to them. If they're going to do something, do it. That's more or less what they're saying They're you know. They don't try to put out press releases that they're throwing extra extra bonus here to try to soften the PR. Like UFC is basically like we don't care.
0: Is that why would um, why would you care if the UFC again, dude? Getting federal legislation passed for anything these days is difficult. Number one. Um, that lawsuit I guess, could, could, I guess I'm could asking how
2: you grade their PR approach that the, the fact that they're just blatantly like, uh, it's up to you. Who cares? Is that, is that, uh, is that, yeah, it, it just tells you they're not afraid.
0: They're absolutely not afraid at, at all. I'm sure they don't like those things, right? Like they would prefer those things not be there, but like, do I really think that Ari Emanuel, it can't sleep at night by virtue of, you know, these various <laughs> efforts? No, I don't. I think he's probably just fine. All right.
2: Uh, Luke, let's transition to topic five, and that's a
0: uh,
2: all boxing-related, so MMA fans can tune out now if you all are bitter and weird about it. <laughs> but we got a lot going on in boxing this weekend. Uh, and Luke, the, the, the big focal point is certainly what's going on here in Verona, New York, and next door, Canastota, New York, the home of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And if there was ever a weekend to be here, which has always been I, my first Hall of Fame weekend, but it's always been told that it's like... You know, it's boxing Candyland, Luke. If you're if you're a fan, the access you have to the Hall of Famers, you know, you can you can get you can do drunken karaoke with them at the bar if you want. You know what I mean? I mean it's it's unrivaled. This year, we got three classes going in at as one because of COVID. And also the first time women are going in. So this is just a, a sampling of the star-studded names from these three classes. On the men's side, Luke, Floyd Mayweather, Roy Jones Jr., Bernard Hopkins, Vladimir Klitschko, Miguel Cotto, Andre Ward, James Tony, Juan Manuel Marquez, Sugar Shane Mosley. And then you got, you know, the, these first class of the, the female stars, Christy Martin, Leila Ali, Anne Wolf, Holly Holm, a, a bunch of pioneers as well. And then you got, you know, Lou, DeBoo, Lou DeBella, Kathy Duva, beloved promoters. Um, this is fun, Luke. I've had a good time being on the grounds here. And, and I went to the Hall of Fame uh, yesterday and took the tour. And, and, Luke, I even signed an autograph, okay? I'm not saying it was necessary. I'm not saying it was needed, okay? But, you know, they asked and I, I reciprocated
0: now, when you say you sign an autograph, does that mean like someone handed you a bill and you put your signature on it and you thought that it was an autograph? Or was <laughs> no, some guy came running autograph?
2: and yelling my name and he's obviously a collector. He's got his hands full and he pulls out a five by seven of a boxing glove. And I'm like, you really want my autograph? So I start signing it in the corner. So like, you know, it could be like, it, no, he's like, no, across the whole center of it, please. So, you know, some guy's got that look. Okay? I've, I've,
0: I've had it before a few times where folks ask me for autographs and I'm always like. Bro, you know I'm like a piece of shit, right? Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm devaluing this by by signing this, but uh, okay, Indeed. I'll do it if you want. Indeed,
2: uh, Luke, I I am unable to uh, stay the whole time for Sunday's uh, induction ceremony, and you know there's parade, there's there's all that. This small community really fills up and goes after it. But damn, to have this many legends all in one place, it's, uh, you know, most of them are expected to be in attendance in tonight's uh, Showtime Showbox, the New Generation Triple Header, which is from, you know, the Turning Stone here in Verona, New York, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. Check out your boy BC there. Uh, you're You're sure to get plenty of interviews. Al Bernstein, the Hall of Famer himself, will be on hand. Floyd could be in the building, you know, like
0: we're talking about. Is Klitschko um, going to make it, or is he just going to stay in Ukraine? Obviously, given the difficulty.
2: I don't, I don't sure. have any confirmation that he's coming. I know Floyd is expected. I've seen Miguel Cotto at breakfast. I ate next to James Tony yesterday. I mean, there's you know, they're here. They're here, Luke. How did James? And how did James look? He looked really good. I mean, he kind yeah. of still lo- looks like. Himself, you know, the guy we saw over the second half of his career, where yeah, there was some ups and downs, but you know, he was very competent as a cruiserweight and then a heavyweight toward that sort of that tail end of his career. You know, some failed drug tests and some debauchery mixed in there, but he was funny. He was holding court. I mean, look, you get insane access to to uh, to the legends here. Dude, if what's if your if favorite, favorite fan, James
0: so. Tony fight?
2: Uh, without question, Vasily Jirov from I believe oh, 2003 yeah. for the cruiserweight title it was at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Uh, you know, you have Emmanuel Stewart on the call and he's losing his mind as that fight is just you know accelerating the last few rounds. And when Tony stops him in the final round, oh my god, oh my god, look at this, look at this. You know, that's the call from Emmanuel. It's gotta be that, Luke. You got any others in mind?
0: Um Iran. I mean, he Barkley? fought Roy
2: in a big one. He got handled yeah. by Roy, but he fought him in a huge fight back. Did you the- like the Barkley fight? Oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. That's a, the that's a, that's
2: one that stands out well. to me a
0: little bit. But um, yep.
2: yeah, I mean, he beat Evander Holyfield. He, he beat John Ruiz for the title. But of course, the steroid test, uh, you know, turned that around. And on the, on the James
0: Tony, side, man, folks kind of shit on him because Catora mopped the floor with him because, you know, it was all a bit of a big setup. But yeah, James he Tony was a clown. Box too. His ass off, bro. He was. Oh, so my talented. God.
2: He did it across so many divisions. Obviously, the best of him was at, you know, middleweight and super middleweight, but, you know, his ability to to do the, you know, shoulder roll and the Philly shell and, and just, you know, not get hit and stand in front of guys and swivel and deliver. I mean, he is, that's why it's hard. Some of it is hard because, you know, the second half of his career had the Randy Couture fight, like you mentioned, and, you know, he's kind of clownish in that run, and, and you kind of feel bad for him at times for how long he hung on, but he reinvented himself so many times because his commitment to his craft and and was so high. And when he brought that to the higher weight classes, Luke, it was just really fun to see somebody, you know, dare to be great like that and be a factor when you started at what, you know, 154 or 160? Mm-hmm. So uh, great career. Um, you know, obviously we can say what we will about so many. Uh, Floyd, Cotto, Roy Jones Jr., Hopkins, they'll all be here going in. But Luke, Andre Ward going in, and Showtime just announced yesterday that a uh, – a documentary is going to be coming out in early 2023. It's Andre Ward in his own words. And that's significant because a lot of people don't really know. He grew up in very less than ideal circumstances with both parents addicted to drugs and, and, uh, and a lot of issues there. And to see him come to this point and then remember him walking away as the pound for pound king at age 33, undefeated, just walked off and never came back. It's one of those unique resumes, Luke, where there's some what if in there, but also it's like,
0: damn, Andre Ward was great. It's a little Habib-like. There's yes. some kind of comparison, you know. Indeed, indeed,
2: Luke. Um, but, you know, hey, Holly Holm on a UFC side, on an MMA side. That's cool. Uh, let's Good not for her, forget man. what she did in boxing. Yeah, absolutely. Great to see her going in with this sort of uh, lead class. She did win. What titles in three weight classes? Uh, won you know sixteen total title defenses. She had a heck of a sort of ten year run before making that switch. So Luke, also of course, as I mentioned, nine PM Eastern tonight is the Showbox triple header. What to look out for from your boy BC? How about this heavyweight main event? I don't know if you remember this guy. He won super heavyweight gold in Tokyo last year uh, for the twenty twenty games that were a year late. He's from Uzbekistan, Bakadir Jalalov, and Luke. He's ten and zero with ten KOs he's has the same trainer that demetri bivol has and he's a guy who's 6 foot 7 patterns his game and styles and movements like the klitschko brothers in a lot of ways i'm not saying he's you know necessarily destined for that same level but this guy can crack and he's fighting former European pro basketball player, Jack Mulawai who's, they call him Big Jackie, six five and a half. So it's a good main event to watch because Jalalov has been uh, promoted by Lou DiBella, who's going in the Hall of Fame this weekend, and they he believes, like, this guy's absolutely legit, world-class. But, Luke, he's also never been past the fifth round up to this point. So that's certainly something to look forward to.
0: By the way, speaking of Bivol, I saw the ESPN pound-for-pound rankings. They didn't have Jermil Charlo in the top 10, and they had Bivol at 7. That's blasphemy, right?
2: Well, right now, I think I have Bivol at 9, and I had Jermel at number 10, but he dropped out because of uh, Fulton Jr., and then Haney and are right there on the outside looking in with him as well. I mean, look, I feel like right now we have almost 15 guys who are Hall of Fame top 10 worthy, but there's only 10 spots. So you got to really— Dude, I
0: don't understand. What would be the case? I mean, I didn't realize that Bivol beat Canelo, and Canelo at the time was arguably number one pound-for-pound pound in the sport, but it was far outside of his normal weight class. And yes, it was a clear win, but how does that compare— to beaten the guy who just unified the fucking weight class. I think it's because Bivol is undefeated and he's really.
2: I mean, yeah, he took some shots from Joe Smith, but he's really like not been touched up on the elite level. I mean, he's been he's been pretty dominant in his own weight class, even if sometimes it's been very boring, wide decisions. And then he goes in there against the biggest star in the sport. I get the size difference that you're saying, but it was it was convincing. I mean, I, I'm I'm fine with it. But like I said, if you have him out and instead you have Charlo, Tank, Haney. Fulton or anyone else in Juan Francisco Estrada. At this point, there's literally 15 guys who deserve to be in this top 10. So um, I I understand what you're saying, but that can all fight wasn't easy for him, even though at times he made it look so Luke. I mean, he had to be a noteworthy,
0: noteworthy, much smaller guy. I just don't see how on earth that compares to unifying all four belts in a very difficult weight class. Like, yes, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know about boxing better than I do. I'm just I'm a little confused by it.
2: No, I mean it's, it. It pained me to take Jermel out of my top ten. Not by any of thing he did wrong, Luke. It's just again, it's like, damn, you know, damn. I mean, Fulton is deserving in this con. He's in this conversation, Luke. Haney is in this conversation, right? No.
0: Yes, yes. Haney. Haney's in the conversation. I candidly, I'm going to say I don't know if Tank is. Um, okay. For me, for me, I think uh, top fifteen. Yes, I don't know if I'd put him in the top ten given the strength of schedule. This is what I mean. It's like we're going to put Tank higher than Jermel Charlo. Like on what fucking planet does that make sense? No way. You cannot put his accomplishments at all on par with Charlo's. No, no chance.
2: Yeah, but it's not accomplishments only. It's the mixture of accomplishments to get there, and then mixed with really, how great are you? How do you compete against your yeah, how division do you know compared Tank to what other guys? Great.
0: Do? He hasn't fought anybody that makes you fully understand. Oh, the IC- that.
2: To look, at, look is pound for pound a science? No. And people have wildly different views of it, unfortunately. A lot of people are very ignorant how they look at it, Luke, but it still comes down to what you prefer. And for me, the eye test matters a lot. I always say it's what you've accomplished that gets you in the conversation. But to me, it's the mythical who would beat who, because as we know, these guys can't fight each other when they're far apart in weight. So you, the only thing you can do is mythically say, okay, based on the strengths and weaknesses they have in their own division, how would they fare against this guy? It's why it's hard for heavyweights Typically, to get votes. Although right now I've got Usyk and Fury in my top ten because they both seem to be that special. When I look at that eye test, I think Gervonta is way better than people realize. I really do, look. I really believe that. I, I, I believe can buy that. But
0: let me just let me ask one final question about that because it's a bit of a side conversation. So yeah, okay. Give me a win that Tank has that's as good as Charlo beating Lubin in the first round.
2: I mean, him stopping uh, Jose Sniper Pedraza for the title. That's that's a pretty damn good win. Okay.
0: Okay. I mean, All right. But then after that, he knocked you out you got Santa
2: Cruz, uh, you know what I mean? And, 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 and they met in the middle and, and the Santa, he Cruz one. The
0: Santa Cruz one is nice. But then after he beat Lubin, he beat trout. He did lose to Harrison, but he got it back. Jorge Cota, Jason Rosario. And then he obviously finished off Brian Castaño. The first fight it was kind of crazy uh, as a split draw. I don't know, dude. I think his resume is vastly superior, but
2: okay. But I guess it, again, it comes back to what are you putting more weight in? To me, resume gets you to this point of this conversation, but I think eye test has to be a part of it if you're properly gonna do a pound for pound, because what's the real meaning we're trying to find out? Who's the best and in what order? And some of that is the mythical who would be who, but some of it is just, Luke, I've seen Jamel Charlo in my eyes lose twice, right? Yes, he's come back and made great adjustments. Lost once. Right, but with my eyes I thought he lost the the first fight oh, to too, to yeah. you know Castanio. So sometimes that that fa- factors in, you know, and in with I Tank, just think I... that
0: like here's the thing. There's no doubt that Tank is extremely talented. I've said it for before, I'll say it again. He is obviously quite, quite a fighter. Um and I get that there, you know, Jer- Charlo's resume is not perfect, but dude, Charlo has had to do in my judgment, for whatever that is worth, Charlo has had to do, you know, infinitely more difficult work. And so if you're fighting guys, yes, there are some very good fighters that Tank has beat. But, you know, I don't consider Roley one of them. And I think if Charlo had the strength of schedule that a guy like Tank did, it we would have very different conversations. And I think Tank is being graded on a curve because he is so good and he's a much bigger star. There is no denying yeah. that. And so that's just my personal opinion. But again, I, you know, I'm hey dude, I'm, your I'm, argument, I'm looking it, in your argument is not wrong at the
2: end of the day. And that's, you know, certainly what a lot of people are hoping that Javante continues to climb the ladder and, and really test himself. Uh, Luke, couple quick uh, boxing notes of what to look for this weekend. Saturday ESPN plus has a card in New York city and Edgar Berlanga, the rising unbeaten super middleweight, who of course had 16 KOs in the first round in his first 16 fights. Now he's on a three fight non KO streak. And to be honest, mm-hmm. Luke, there's some questions here. He's welcoming 38 year old Romer, Alexis Angulo, who. You know, we've seen him on Showtime before as an opponent. He, he's tough. He fought Benavidez, you know? right? Absolutely. And he's He's a tough, Colombian so guy.
0: He's Colombian if memory serves.
2: Absolutely. So if Berlanga is taking the step in the wrong direction, this could be something. But I want to ask you this straight up. Does Berlanga need to restart that knockout streak? Maybe not first round, but does he need to stop this guy here and physically dominate him to avoid us feeling like we've seen him exposed even though he's never lost?
0: Yeah, like the thing is, do I expect from Berlanga what I saw from Benavidez? I think that's unfair for Berlanga. Not a lot of guys are going to do what Benavidez did to him. So, you know, as a basis of comparison, I'm just going to let that go. But still, what Benavidez showed is that there's a lot of times Angulo just kind of covers up, walks into punches. He's there to be hit is the point I'd like to make. Berlanga needs to show... Stop him would be obviously be great. I'm not even saying he has to do that, but Berlanga has to really put it on him. Put it on him. Not in the kind of way where he's kind of eking it out and, you know, he's getting hit. It's 50-50, but maybe he did a little bit more. No, like you need to stunt on this guy because he is truly, he's an older guy. He covers up a lot. He doesn't throw a lot of volume. Berlanga really should look good here if he's at all what we thought him to be. And if this is at all close... That's a terrible sign for Berlon. Yeah, it, terrible.
2: I think if he stops him and looks great, he restarts that hype machine that got stalled. Uh, I mean, don't forget, I mean, he was, you know, I had him on the show, I interviewed him, you know, he's texting FaceTime and Fat Joe. I mean, he's got the celebrity connection. How could some of that not go to his head when, To be fair, if you get 16 first-round KOs in your first 16 fights, you don't know how good you are. I'm sorry, you don't know how good you are. You don't know how you'll respond to things. And in this three fights of no KOs, Luke, where we saw him get dropped, we saw him fight through injuries, I mean, he's had some adversity. The good news is he never lost. The bad news is he's yet to show us up to this point that he's corrected those and that, that he is the guy that showed... All that great potential. But, you know, that's what this fight is all about. So it's worth tuning in for that. Uh, Luke DeZone is going to give us your guy, Hami Mungia. Unfortunately, not, once again, not against a name we care about in Jimmy Kelly from, I believe, the UK. Um, even Oscar De La Hoya, Luke, in his round of interviews this week, not the best move by a promoter, admitted, I've never heard of Jimmy Kelly. I've never even seen him fight before. Now, he was making that argument to try to say that they tried to make a fight against the Charlo bro. And Oscar's been blaming, you know, Showtime and PBC for not being willing to do it. Uh, Obviously, there's deeper sort of business financial concerns there. Is the fight big enough to be on both networks? No. So unless one person is willing to give their fighter away in some kind of trade, you're not going to see it. So Oscar, uh, you know, unfortunately, once again, stepped into the bear trap, Luke, as he's pissing on his own main event (laughs) while he's trying to promote it. All that to be said, you are a Munguia guy, but are you losing interest on this level of matchmaking?
0: Big time. They're they're wasting this kid's time and all of our time as well. I mean, who's to say? Munguia, you would agree, is much more proven than someone like Berlanga, for example. Like, I, oh, think, I yeah. do think Munguia is much, much better. But at the same time, it's like, dude, what are we doing with this fucking shit? Like, And then it was hilarious. Did you see like, on Twitter? He, I think you shared it with us on text. Fucking Oscar was like... You know, I got a 10-figure offer, and I'm like, of what, Golden Boy coins? Like, who oh, giving you a 10-figure offer for Golden Boy? And then on top of it, he's like, I would love to work with Dana. After you two shit on each other in the most violent yep. way possible? Like, he's, I don't really know what Oscar is doing. To be
2: I don't want to make the same jokes everybody does when he does ridiculous things that, you know, Dana makes the same jokes, too, about, because he's had a, a sordid history of issues with substances, Luke, and it's, it's sad to see, but... He's a character now of himself, and I hate to say that because he is my favorite boxer, you know? You, you can't pick who you Folks love. Folks understand,
0: loved. dude. If you miss De La Hoya's heyday, dude, oh he was God. the king badass, of boxing. Dude.
2: You know what? The, the best thing that came out of his reputation, like his legacy is this, right? He's a Hall of Famer, absolutely multi-division champion, star of the sport for a for a stretch, But he always went out of his way to make tough matchups, to make the biggest fight available, to move up to middleweight and fight Bernard Hopkins for all four belts, right? Like, he always, 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 you know, making the fight against Floyd when he still had some left in the tank, making the fight against Pacquiao when he got his ass kicked and he shouldn't have been in there at that weight. But he always, always, always. Now, of course, the resume is partially damaged by the abuse he put his body through in the second half of his career, which I think led to him losing more big fights than he won, but nobody looks at his legacy as anything but, damn, that guy's a badass. But yet, Luke, since his retirement, all he does is piss on his own legacy with the way he acts. And it sucks, you know? And now he's saying, oh, man, I, I dodged a bullet by not boxing Vitor Belfort. I would have got hurt. Dude, you you didn't dodge a bullet. You faked an injury and pulled out of the fight because you knew it was a bad choice. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, damn, Luke.
0: Damn. I, one little story about Hidalgo Ahoy that sort of stands with me is that when I was dating my wife at first, uh, this is when he fought Pacquiao, she really wanted to see it. And you gotta understand something about Colombia, like it, it, boxing is big there, but it's not like it is in Mexico or like Puerto Rico or or Cuba or something like that. Like there, it definitely is very very popular there, but not nearly to the same degree. And she was saying that when De La Hoya fought in the states, obviously he was supposed to be like the big you know uh, presence there and for you know certain Latin American markets. Um, she said even all of Colombia, would like when she was growing up, like it was a big deal when Oscar De La Hoya fought, which was like she couldn't tell me if that was true for any other even Latino fighter. Like that was very, very rare. He was a huge, huge, huge star. And now he's just like, I don't know what he's doing. I really don't. Go watch the tape of when early prime Oscar fought
2: Patrick Charpentier in El Paso, Texas at the outdoor stadium and it, the crowd was a sellout, there were mounds of people chasing after, Isaac, uh, after um, Oscar, and Luke, the crowd was like 90% teenage girls. Like, he hmm. he was a different kind of draw, but once again, with his matchmaking and the way he fought, particularly the first half of his career, really, the Trinidad fight seemed to change him in a lot of weird ways, as was the weird ending and the way that he sort of circled away. way, but, um, you know, he was a badass. He was an absolute badass, Luke, so I hate to see who he's become. Anyway, speaking of Oscar, it's a perfect transition. Our friend Shaq Majori caught up with him for CBS Sports. He stepped up. And Luke, one of the big fallout, you know, rollout topics from, from Tank Davis's knockout of Rolly Romero and the idea of, okay, he is that star. We know who he is, but I gotta see him fight the other stars. We know the stance that uh, Leonard Ellerby and Mayweather promotions have taken, which is basically, we wanna fight those other guys too, but you gotta come to us, which is hard to do in this day and age with the networks being so tied into the promoters and all the exclusive deals. So Shaq, you know, ask Oscar De La Hoya on the other side who represents Ryan Garcia. Are you serious? How do we make this fight? Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis to close the year? We know guy wants it. Let's see what Oscar said. Obviously, the
1: the fight to make is Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis. And Ryan Garcia winning July 16th against Fortuna, will, will put Ryan Garcia in a position where, where he has a shot at, uh, at fighting the very best. And that's tank Davis. I want to make tank Davis a multi multi-million dollar offer, um, to fight Ryan Garcia possibly in October, November. So if tank Davis is listening, um, let's make this fight happen. Ryan Garcia wants to fight you, uh, mayweather promotions i believe uh, um, is your promoter i can work with mayweather you can fight uh, ryan garcia let's let's make this happen it's the biggest fight in boxing today look i don't like that and i don't like when the same thing
2: is said on the other Mark. side either it's the idea that like like, for this fight to happen, it's it's kind of got to be a, a two-network you know, two pay-per-view. Now, is it of that level? You can argue not, but they also have huge followings. Tank is a star. Ryan Garcia is a star, whether he's proven or not. There's some of those same issues as Gervonta. But I know at the end he says, you know, I'm willing to work with them too. But when you say, hey, Tank, I'll send you a giant multi-million dollar offer, you don't actually mean you want to work with them. You mean... I want him to come to my side in my TV right. and put it on DAZN, you know? And on the same side, Steven Espinoza Showtime was quoted in the story as saying, you know, we don't want to do a two-network deal with DAZN. They don't bring anything to the table. They don't have Ryan Garcia under contract. They have Golden Boy under contract. So really, Luke, unless Ryan Garcia is going to follow through on some of the threats he made of, like, I'm going to get this tank fight even if, even you know, I'm not going to let Golden Boy get in the way, if you can pull that off legally and you can come over and we'll do this fight on, you know, potentially Showtime pay-per-view with PBC running it, that's great. But you heard Oscar it's hard to believe that that's realistic given the the business climate at the moment unless everyone was yeah. willing to all work together.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't I don't know what's going to happen with Tank. I would love to see Tank versus Ryan. Um Yes, I It'd be your concerns.
2: It would be really big because either guy could in theory win that by knockout. You
0: really don't know. I mean, and, David, and, you know, Tank has had some good pay-per-view numbers. I think Tank versus Ryan Garcia. I think minimum half a million buys. Minimum.
2: Oh, 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 yes, yes. Minimum, definitely. Um, so it's. I don't want to be that you know bearer of bad news because we have seen the street get you know the sides of the street get closer for some big fights, but we got to have all players involved here be willing to do it as a team and split that pot. And I'm not saying it's realistic. I don't know the details, but you gotta be willing to do that, I think, right now if we're gonna see this fight, unless it's another long build to a Mayweather Pacquiao type thing, and who knows where both fighters will be at that point. Also quickly, Luke, we talk about Javante Davis needing to be matched a little bit tougher for our taste. A lot of people say that about Ryan Garcia as well. He is fighting Javier Fortuna. It was a He's fight right they were the supposed to 10. make a- it was a fight they were supposed to make a year ago. I mean, Fortuna's got a little bit of a resume. He's a guy, he's tough, but he's also older. We, we do want to see more. So our guy Shaq did ask Oscar about the idea of,
1: you know, are you are you coddling Ryan in terms of the matchmaking? You're going to get your, your criticism, uh, especially from the boxing fans, because they, they you know, they want to see the best fights take place and they want to see them now. Um, un- unfortunately, Ryan Garcia... You know, he he was dealing with uh, with 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 uh, mental health issues and he was off for a while. Um, He had uh, a surgery on uh, on his right hand um, uh, recently. So he's been off for quite a while. And uh, so now now that he's fighting uh, July 16th at the uh, at the crypto arena, um, yes, people are going to are going to criticize a bit on, on, on who he's fighting. But people have to remember that he's been off for a while. Mm-hmm. He's fighting an ex uh, a two-time world champion who has a great record. Um, so, so if Ryan Garcia beats him at the crypto arena, uh, July 16th, then we can start talking Tank Davis.
0: Crypto.com arena. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: it is what it is, Luke. Um, I mean, Garcia seems willing. To, he wants the smoke, according you know. He says it, but couple couple soft matchups on the way here. Although, look, you know that Luke Campbell fight. That's that's why we still have belief in Rye. because you know he got knocked down by Luke Campbell, but came back and finished him and sent him into retirement. Um, I still don't know, man. Uh, my fear, of course, is that. Golden Boy and Oscar feel like maybe in the back of their mind, you know, Ryan isn't that guy if they match him as tough as they say they will, and maybe we've seen promoters do this, maybe they want to keep him away. I hope it's not the case. Time will tell, Luke. Those are your five topics for the week, but of course every Friday we look back at all the bullshit we spewed into a microphone and we open up the <laughs> email address of morningcombat at gmail.com for you, the fan, to, to, to take your swing. You, you didn't like what we said. We said something wrong. You have to send in a receipt, a timestamp. And ball up, brother, because you thought something we said was dead wrong. Dead
0: wrong. wrong. I love this segment. Even when I take massive L's, I think it's important for the show. Uh, yeah, it's it can be a
2: wild segment, Luke. That's the, indeed. All right, let's start right here. This is from Justin. Hi guys, listening live on a Monday here. And Luke just mentioned that in their first fight. Nonito Donaire broke Inoue's face, and then Inoue got a late stoppage. In fact, Inoue dropped him multiple times, but the fight went the full 12 rounds. Thanks. Oh, it's Jesus. Justin. Yes,
0: fair enough. Dead wrong. Sit on Jesus, that fence, sorry. Luke. Yeah, yeah. sit right. on that Dead L, wrong. I mean.
2: Right up there. Gonna... Just like sitting on the chair on the uh, room service diary set, Luke. That L will. I mean, could that, that, could that chair will... be
0: more? I mean, just have me sit on a series of knives next time. I mean, the worst yes, chair in America. Thank you. Thank you. All
2: right, this is one is from uh, Jordan from Hawaii. Hey, Donks, episode 309 at about 36 minutes discussing Valentina's upcoming title defense. Luke and BC mentioned UFC champions that have defended their title seven times or more. Jones, GSP, Anderson Silva, and Demetrius Johnson wanted to add to their list. They also forgot about Jose Aldo, oh, who had Dominic, Flores, Mendez, Edgar, mm-hmm. TKZ, Lamas, and Mendes again. Looking forward to more great content.
0: Fair Mahalo, enough, dude. it's Jordan. Yeah. And it goes to show you, Aldo gets a lot of respect, as you would well imagine. I'm not sure that he gets the respect commensurate with his actual achievements. Um, fair point. Great point. Love that. Love that correction. Good good correction.
2: <clears throat> Number three comes from Ross here, Luke. Hey, BC and Luke, on Wednesday's episode 309 at one hour and 29 minutes, BC said he would love Nawa Inoue, the monster, to fight the other belt holder at 118 for all four titles. BC said it was John Real Casimiro However, this is dead wrong. For Casimiro was stripped of the title on May 4th after missing weight for his oh, fight that's with right. the actual current champion Paul Butler getting bumped up to the to the uh to the full title. Now, shame that Luke couldn't help you, BC, as he continued to talk about Casimiro's chances against a new a A double dead wrong. Double Keep dead wrong. Give up the good work, fellas. I, I, for, yeah, I had forgotten
0: that, that happened. Yes. I dude, I so saw right. Casimiro. Uh, what was it the day after the Charlo doubleheader? I think that's right. I saw Casemiro at the airport. He's a goofball. He's a total mm-hmm. goofball. Mm-hmm. Like he's a weirdo. Um, but he, he he had a great night. I uh, win that night. Yes, I totally forgot that's true. Yep. Uh, so taking L's that, left and right. When
2: Inoue knocked Donaire out, I went right to ESPN.com's championship page to remind myself who was that fourth title holder, and they still had, unfortunately, Casemiro. So I ah. it. it it, you know that you know I can't rely on them. Look, I can't rely on them. Okay, I'm sorry. Fair those enough. are my those are my people. You know I can't names. rely on you right now. Yeah. Uh, also from Kevin L, a small dead wrong for BC from Wednesday show at 12 minutes and 50 seconds. BC says Zhang Wei Li is a local Southeast Asia product as it related to the marketing of UFC 275. Um, actually, BC China is not one of the nations in Southeast Asia, which includes Cambodia, Laos myanmar malaysia thailand vietnam brunei east timor indonesia the philippines and singapore as someone who is also asian and as shit i would know it's kevin l is that you jamal
0: <laughs> yeah that's a uh, fair correction too i mean i know what yeah, you I'll meant take that, like l. the eastern side of the map or whatever but yes the, he's he's right I, technically that would not be Southeast yes. Asia. I once referred to Pakistan as the
2: Middle East as well, talking about a fighter, and got got roasted for the same yeah, way. Luke, Some, not sometimes, military, yeah. No. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry. Okay, thank you. Uh, also, uh, a uh, who do we got here? This is from Christus. Christus. I've never heard of that name before. Hey, BC. This is Christus, a P1 bloke from a city in the south of India called Chennai. Luke, you familiar?
0: Chennai. I think it's Chennai. Okay. I, I don't, uh, I don't know. May, I, I'm making that up. I'm not sure that I know that.
2: Looks like I've never cared about my home country ever. This may be a dead wrong for BC or a dead wrong for the rest of the world. In episode 309 at the two-hour mark. Damn, Luke, we did a lot of bad shit in episode 309. Damn.
0: Yeah, we were um, total trash.
2: You mentioned the things you would do for women and ended by saying you were a one-man woman. So oh, what's I going do on remember you saying BC? this, and I
0: let you stew in that because I thought it was a dumb BC joke.
2: It was a dumb B.C. joke because about a month earlier, I accidentally when I went to say one woman man said one man woman. And of course, people had fun with it in the comments. So that's a little, you know, sometimes B.C. leaves like like, you know, that plate you leave for Santa with like the half eaten carrot and the uh, you know what I mean, Luke? Yeah. Sometimes I leave out those scraps, you know, because I I care about animals. You know what I mean, Luke?
0: You do. You that's- are an animal
2: lover. I mean, those mean animals, just be nice. But I care about them, indeed. All right, Luke, that's all I got for uh, for this shit. MorningCombat at gmail.com. Wednesdays, fan subs. Fridays, dead wrongs. A reminder, uh, Showtime, the label that pays me, of course. Showtime.com. You want to see what Showbox at the Hall of Fame is all about? You can get 30 free days right now by going to that website. And check me out, 9 p.m. Eastern this evening. Showbox, the new generation. Live from Verona, New York. Unbeaten heavyweight. Bako Deer Jalalov, 10-0, 10-KOs in that main event. He was the gold medalist last year. So uh, How many times Look, are you going
0: to fumble that name on air? A lot, a lot. <laughs> okay. By the way, okay. we should remind folks, tomorrow, of course, is UFC 275. Be right here when UFC 275 is over. Post-fight show for you guys tomorrow. I'll be headlining that, and uh, yes, we'll have live reaction results, the whole nine yards live right as soon as the fights are over.
2: Yes. And, uh, you know, thank you, fans. The like and subscribe social things are there. But when you do like and subscribe and tell a friend and all that stuff, look, it helps. It helps. We've you know, it helps us get to those next levels. And we appreciate you. We're bringing the live show to UFC 276, which is right around the corner. Fourth of July weekend, there, international fight week. So uh, good, good things coming ahead, Luke. Okay, back in the studio on Monday, maybe.
0: That's right. right. We're back in studio on Monday, live show tomorrow night. We're going to start ramping things up here. So this should be fun. We're going to be like Rampage Jackson,
2: Luke. The
0: 18th. energy drinks driving a car with
2: his face on it <laughs> indeed uh for uh long island luke uh, Corey, cory you know all those guys behind the scenes. i'm sure sally's back there too Sally it's still time to leave staten island i mean it's killing you i know uh that's my co-host luke thomas right there uh great guy great guy i have met him great guy i am bc i'm beige i'm washed and uh Take care of yourself this weekend. Enjoy the fights, okay? All all work good. All work fine. But uh, first, take care of Ed. We out of here. Thank you.